Um, speaking of TK and being right, TK. Right with a with a capital W. You claimed on these very on this very show, 2020 is the year that Craig Wright needs to prove himself, needs to make good on all of his bold claims. Uh, otherwise, you're done, or he's a fraud, or something. I don't remember what exactly. Yeah, well, you said I, 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 I didn't say that last part. It was implied. Come on, he doesn't, doesn't want to get sued. I, I, th- I think what you said is TK. Um, if it doesn't happen, then you're going to pay us all one BSV each, if I remember. One? I, I thought it was 100. Oh. <laughs> DK, 2020, what did you learn about Dr. Craig, Stephen Wright, Esquire, MMD Phil, whatever other accolades uh, associated? I'm trying to pull up. Uh... So, uh, what kind of chef was he? A Michelin rated? A brazier. Well, there, there are rumors that he told uh, Bitcoin Bell, who was the woman who organized, um, who organized his event for um, where he came out and said that Bitcoin was Turing complete. And there were rumors that he had, she had shared emails or something like that between them, where he had told her he was like a five-star Michelin chef or something like that. That's right. Or and um, his his old LinkedIn account said something about him being like a. Provincial French saucier or something like that. I don't know. So make me the egg souffle in a public setting where it's independently verifiable by multiple people. And then you can back up. Uh, No, TK, 2020 Craig Wright. What'd you learn? I have come to the conclusion after seeing what was and was not accomplished in 2020 that you guys were absolutely right 100% about something you said last year that I thought was like, eh, y'all just bothered by something I'm not bothered by. And now I believe it's, it's a completely insurmountable argument. And that is all social capital pertaining to announcements in the BSV community has been completely used up. <clears throat> what I mean by that is there is literally no promise that anyone who works on BSV can possibly make that can generate more excitement than the promises that have already been made that have not been delivered on. I'm still bullish on BSV. I still think it's far more likely that everything fails than that BSV uniquely loses. But I I think it's like a boxer who before the match says all this really bold stuff. I'm going to knock his head off in the first round, et cetera, et cetera. Gets in the match, doesn't do that in the first round. In the second round, takes a couple of heavy blows, doesn't even land a punch. In the third round, he's still on his feet, and it's kind of like, all right, I believe this guy can still win. And if he wins, no one's going to care about the trash that he talked. But let's be clear. I don't want to hear anything that this guy has to say. The only way that he can possibly be impressive is by actually delivering. So I, I do think we have had plenty of time. If you go back to late 2018, all the way through 2019, there were a lot of specific predictions and promises made. And I think we'd all agree that Craig was probably the most interesting or one of the most interesting personalities in crypto because of all these things that he said. And we've had plenty of time to see some of that be executed on, even on the business side, a lot of the things that Calvin said, we've had plenty of time to see that executed on. And I think it's been so underwhelming. I'm not mad. I don't need anybody to pump my backs. I I create a life where I don't need that. I've I've said that before. There's no scenario where you're going to see me crying. But 
although I still believe in that BSV is going to succeed, I believe that these guys and the things that they say are now completely uninteresting and boring. I think uh, personalities like Elon, Moist, and, and Jack are far more interesting. But more importantly, nearly every project that is happening on BSV is far more interesting uh, and impactful than almost anything that I'm hearing Craig and Calvin say. I'm going to lose some people with this, but you said a, it's a boxer analogy, the boxer that talks trash and everything. There's an even better one, TK. It's LeVar Ball. And like LeVar Ball <laughs> was the most interesting thing in the NBA for a good couple minutes. And he made a couple crazy predictions before they happened, like that the Lakers were going to draft his son, uh, in the, in, which seemed a little crazy. They did. And it was like, oh my God, this guy, whatever, he's crazy. If his son would have had even just like one, like 30 point game or like done something, LeVar Ball could have stayed interesting, but you just can't use hype for that long without anything to back up your claims. You got to have something. Now in LeVar's ball case, LeVar Ball's case, at least he has two other sons that will give him two more bites at the apple to kind of keep hyping and maybe they'll do something. But with Craig, it's like, we gave you quite a bit of time to, you were interesting because of your claims. And because some of your claims were like, had a little bit something there that no one else was willing to say. And maybe there's a little, this is cool. Now uh, there's nothing interesting about any claims coming out of Calvin and Craig just because of the lack of, of coming through. So as you said, if BSV is going to succeed, it's going to succeed completely independent from anything those guys are saying or, or not doing, I, I, I think. Hey, let, let me launch a preemptive strike really quick because I can see a lot of people listening to this because whenever anybody criticizes anything, people are always like, well, why don't you stop waiting for them to do something and you be the one to do something about it? So I, I want to make something really clear here. <clears throat> I'm not saying that they owe us anything. I don't think Craig and Calvin owe anybody anything, right? Um, so th that's not it. And, and, and nobody's butthurt about anything that they've done. But when you say things like EHR data, we're gonna see we're gonna see some action on that in 2020, and literally the only action that we see is the founder dies. Now that's tragic, right? That's terrible. That's tragic. But we don't see any action pertaining to that. Um, when you say things like BTC Segwit exploit gonna be destroyed by this date, and that doesn't happen. No problem. You didn't owe me any of that. Doesn't change the quality of my life. When you say things like, I'm going to win a single court case, which is my modest, modestly reworded version of what they actually <laughs> said. And every court case that you've initiated has failed embarrassingly, or you've quietly backed it away, or it's been thrown off. Once you build up that kind of track record, that's all fine, but you can't post a comment to Kim.com saying, hey, your project is violating Craig's patents and expect that to be interesting to anyone. Like there is nothing that you can say you're going to do that can be interesting because of all the things that have been left undone. But yeah, I, I, I don't even expect anything from that camp anymore. They become completely boring to me, but I remain excited about all the cool things that Inklings are doing. I think that's fascinating. I feel like we're back where we were almost exactly a year ago where I'm kind of now on BCH again TK still BSV. Isaac's in the middle, and I guess Derek has changed position to being like BTC now. Derek's right? a Derek's a core uh, a core blockstream um, infiltrating maxi now, right, Derek? Yeah. So 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 my thought is that you guys have all stayed poor because you didn't follow my investment advice, uh, like I said several months ago, uh, and was given so much crap for. 
And no, we didn't give you crap. In fact, no, 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 you guys didn't fact, give me crap. We agreed. That's true. We agreed with you, but we both, but we all said that we thought you, you enjoyed being poor more. That's it. exactly. We said we, <laughs> we invest for psychological reasons as well, yeah. Derek. Um, no. So, so yeah, my, my, my thought is actually is more like, uh, and, I, and by the way, I love the meme that I'm a BTC maxi now. Like, <laughs> let, let's run with that. I'll be the resident BTC troll. But my thought is more like BTC, it, it's clearly got the mainstream finance narrative uh, and it's, it's wrapped around its thumb. Like that's it. It's, it's won that for now. It may be changed in the future, but right now it's got it. I think there's going to be a ton of FOMO. I think higher price increases will will actually bolster more money moving into the market. And uh, we may see a good period of time where the number continues to go up. And during that period of time, I, yeah, I definitely see no reason to really hold any other coin. But I also, uh, yeah, uh, I feel like a year ago as well was about the time that I, I personally was starting to come over to BSV just because they were getting a lot of things right. BCH was getting, getting a lot of things wrong. But two big things happened. Um, in the past year. One, like the the point at which I thought, okay, BSV looks like it's got a better shot is with the EHR data thing. And I was like, I just want one legitimate company to start using this thing because the tech is great. And then it's going to be off to the races. And they fooled me. Craig and Calvin's little thing fooled me because I thought this, because it looked like the guy that was the EHR founder looked legitimate. He had like built legitimate businesses. And then as time goes on, it looks less and less legitimate. And then eventually they make an announcement saying, well, we're not even going to be using the BSD blockchain outside of putting hashes inside of it, which is like, there's nothing special or unique about that at all. That's not using the meta net idea. That's using the blockchain for a purpose that everybody knew it could be used for. And then on the BCH side, the, the problem is BCH had gangrene because the lead dev, Amri Sashay, was a doofus that nobody saw in time, tried to take over the protocol, get himself paid. But he was cut out. I mean, he, he forked off and now BCH doesn't have this doofus dev. They have some other uh, devs that are going to be a problem in the future. But to me, it looks like, well, the, the tables have turned and now BCH just looks more legitimate. Also, Kim.com came out and had an announcement saying that he's going to be trying to incorporate BCH in his project. And I'm like, that's, okay, that's, that's, no bigger, that's no bigger than EHR data. That's my prediction. Oh, I think it is. I, I feel like Kim is, has had more recent success than the EHR data people. And it's a more clear use case for using <laughs> it for payments than EHR was for using BSV for data. I, I don't get it. What's the use case? I went to the website. I, yeah, the I, website's I, irrelevant I, right now, to be honest. Okay. So why are you yeah, announcing I, something and having an irrelevant website? I think, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know why he, like, you, can, you can go to his website. It's clear that it's all outdated content. I don't, I, I don't know why. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I'm like the, the cynic now. I feel, even though we're in the middle of a bull market that I think will continue for some time, uh, probably BTC more so than others. Uh, and then some others, Ethereum, even though it like literally doesn't work at all. And it's like fees of 50 to $100. Some, it's crazy. Um, in the middle of this bull market, I am more frustrated than I think I've ever been with all versions of uh, Bitcoin. And there's this weird, there's this inconvenient truth to use a horrible, horrible, uh, horribly abused phrase. BSV just hands down has the best tech. Um, but that doesn't really matter in terms of the speculative investments in the phase that we're in. And I don't think, I don't know that it even matters in terms of business adoption long-term. There's, it's just the narrative is so bad 
the paucity of talent and money and energy going in. There's a small group of bootstrap people who are really cool doing some really cool stuff, but it's a very small crew. Um, I just don't know if that's going to compete fast enough. BTC has more monetary upside in the near to midterm uh, than I think anything in terms of the price is probably going to keep going up while at the same time being utterly unthreatening to the status quo fiat banking system. It now is the status quo fiat banking system. Make no mistake, any liberty enhancing elements of it are completely dead. Maybe it was just a, uh, maybe the whole thing was just a, let's let people run a demo on a digital currency so we can learn from it and implement our own by central banks, who knows. But I don't see that as a win for freedom, even though I think it could be a near-term asset that makes a lot of money. BCH is where I'm the most frustrated. Because you do have Amari out of the way and this idea of this tax and all this other bullshit. And you have Roger Ver and Bitcoin.com with all the 2 million wallets and all this stuff. And yet here you have BSV with crazy people who made it happen at Enchain and whatever. But the protocol is just manifestly better in so many ways, such that people trying to create things like Twitch, micropayments, apps, they can't build it on BCH. I'm sorry, they just can't. Not only does it not do some of the things with some of the codes, op returns, the, the fees are higher and that matters when they're hundreds of a penny difference when you get into things like massive quantities of micropayments, whatever. Think about, let's say you wanted to, let's say Roger Ver had a conversation with the guys from Twetch and they said, we want you to be able to sign into Twetch from your bitcom.coin wallet using BCH and we want people to be able to use it on the BCH chain. Well, you need to make some changes. First, you'd need PayMail. You need to make some other changes. Who's going to make those changes happen? You know what's going to happen in BCH? Someone will mention, hey, let's make the following changes to the protocol so we can do all these cool things. And immediately, a bunch of basement dwelling losers will be like, Roger Ver's trying to take over. They're trying to emulate BSV. And, and that's Craig, Craig Wright. And I have no faith that any of those changes that make it better to build on will happen. I wish they would. I literally wish I tweeted this and I really wish this would happen. I literally wish BCH would just replace their protocol with the BSV protocol exactly. And then all the people on BSV would just come and build on BCH because you got the ticker and the network effect. You got Roger and 2 million wallets already downloaded, which access to all kinds of users to let them try out these apps. You have the ability, Roger can get in the room with people, can go on CNBC. Like it's the number two. And when the conversations happen during a bull run about Bitcoin, there's always a, whoa, these fees are high among newbies. And then, well, right. this guy says that there's another version of Bitcoin with low fees. And that's always going to be Bitcoin Cash because they were second. And BSV is going to be a long 10th or whatever it is. So like, that's where my frustration is. I see these possibilities, but I don't have confidence in any of these forks. Well, and anytime I suggest to BCH people that BSV has something interesting going on, it's like, you're obviously a paid BSV shill. You know, and, and like the other day, I think I showed you guys that screenshot where I just said that, you know, I'd like to see a version of Money Button on B, B, uh, BCH. And the responses were either that I'm a paid shill or they linked to something called Pay Button, which is, and they're like, see, this is, this is a better version of Money Button. It's literally nothing like Money Button. You can't sign in. There's no app authentication. It's literally a button that you click and a QR code pops up on the screen. It's just a little bit of JavaScript hiding a QR a screenshot. And it doesn't even change the address. Like it's, if you go into the source code, it's a single address. All you do is press a button and the JavaScript initiates a pop-up. And like, that's cool. Like there's some uses for that, but it's nothing like money button. And meanwhile, they're saying, you know, oh yeah, it's, money button's terrible. 
you know, it's, it's, it's not secure. It's this or that. It's like money button is tremendously useful. Now, it's incredibly with, useful. With money button though, that doesn't require any protocol changes. So some no, of these, yeah. some of the BSV superior network that they have built is, I think it's a, it revolves around money button and the idea of paymail, and that doesn't require any protocol changes. So I think if, if there was just some entrepreneur to do it on BCH, I think they could do it. And whether or not there are basement dwellers saying it's insecure or whatever, that doesn't really matter because it wouldn't cause a protocol change. Well, I think what matters is, is people like to build in a community of people that are open to these things. Like that's legit. And we DSV- shouldn't underestimate the social forces that just push people away. Like, and you look at like Amory and how many people they pushed out of BCH. And we know several of them who basically just left entirely because for no other reason than they were basically bullied by Amory. And we looked in BTC in the early days too. Like a, there a lot, seemingly a, a lot of the reasons the companies didn't take stronger actions in order to, to push a block size increase is basically that they got bullied. CEOs right. got like harassed on Twitter and decided to stop talking about it. And uh, so I, I think that there's that that's a, a powerful force, probably even more powerful than anything else. But ultimately, I mean, it's humans in charge, and it's it's humans who are going to make the decisions. And you know, we're not we're not all uh, you know autistic code monkeys. It's people make emotional decisions all the time. Yeah. So so what do you guys think about uh, the proposition that really what we're in is a narrative war, and it has almost no connection with the underlying technicals? And if we're in a narrative war, then BSV has sort of burned it, burned up its narrative. It had a little window. They, the, the, the people in BSV made their narrative about Craig, which was just, a, if you've got to create a narrative, man, that's not the right way to go. This is the guy's not delivering any credibility that he is part of the Satoshi Nakamoto team. And so, well, so I mean, to, 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 to push back a little bit against that, the one thing that they've done right is the protocol thing. I mean, for whatever reason, they're the only people who have gotten the protocol to the point where does that matter though? I'm saying if we're in a narrative, what I'm I'm saying is it, it it could matter from a narrative perspective, but this goes back to what we were talking about on Voxer the other day that that TK mentioned is like, they never talk about all of that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. they don't even make that part of their narrative instead of, instead of saying, for example, Hey, look, look, look at what we've done by removing these block size limits. No one said this was possible. Look at what we've done by removing these limits way faster than everybody Mm -hmm. else said was possible. That's not the narrative they've decided to go out. The narrative is that yeah. screw everybody and, you know, take down pedophiles and, and everyone's a secret pedophile. Everyone in cryptos are all secret pedophiles and, and criminals and Craig's going to destroy them all with, with lawsuits, basically. So they could have a narrative. I, I agree. I think they could have an excellent narrative, but I, th- I think they've just put their chips. They, they, they've re- made it revolve around Craig and that was a, bl- a big blunder. Im- imagine the difference of like, let's say the Kim.com uh, interaction. You see that go up, and if the response is from CoinGeek or Craig or Kelvin or whatever, whoa, this is really awesome. Love to see this kind of stuff, things moving in this direction. Check out Bitcoin files. Actually, on BSV, I'd love to talk. You could actually not only have the payments, but all the content could be hosted on the blockchain too. There's some pros and cons to that, but let's let's chat. Didn't know if you knew BSV could do this, right? Versus you're violating a patent, we're going to sue you. Like, and yeah, then the completely difference. And the epic response of Kim.com saying, yeah, we checked out your patents. They're not relevant. <laughs> oh, the kill shot. So, like, so speaking of, of Kim, by the way, I didn't mean to say that it's like, I don't know. Like what, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with, with that kind of stuff that I, I don't want to get into on the call, but maybe we'll talk about later off, off this video. But like, I'm, I'm much more optimistic than you are, Isaac. I mean, I wouldn't judge it just off like 
that that website that's outdated that, that had stuff about integrating lightning and liquid which is no longer necessarily accurate like there's a lot of stuff going on that that's been being built uh that I'm, I'm much more optimistic about it. I, I sort of feel the same way with last, as I did last year. Just give me the one legitimate business that is using big block Bitcoin in the way it was supposed to be used and, 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 and have them have that big block Bitcoin create value for the company using it. So they want to keep using it and it's not a PR thing. And I feel like, well, that's that's the one spark that either of these chains need is just that one real use case. And maybe it'll be Kim.com. I don't know, but I don't really see it in BCH. You have it incorporated in Coinbase and you have it used for payments, small scale. Okay. But like something like integrating the, the payments with the data, uh, not in the way that BSV is doing it, but maybe in the way that Kim.com is doing it. I feel like that really could be the one spark that gets the ball rolling. TK, yeah, I think, Narrative. I think I think BSV is is best set up to make that happen, but there is that marketing PR problem. I think if you listen to the talk about a year ago, it sounded like there might be a lot of connections. There are lots of announcements made about trips taken, people talking to, but nothing's been delivered on that front. And so I'm starting to think, all right, I think BSV leadership, if I can speak that way is in the same place that everyone else in crypto is. They don't know how to get the world to be interested in this um, because no, no deal has actually been closed towards that end. And then the one deal that was being celebrated towards the end of the year with, with the island, that to my understanding, that wasn't a lead <laughs> that was generated by Inchain, CoinGeek or any of those people. That was a lead generated by George. And I think that was an interesting deal and shout out to George for making that happen. But I think that move by George is actually what the future of BSV depends on. I think BSV actually needs, we're not gonna get Roger Bear, I just don't think that's happening, but BSV needs more personalities who have the business sense, who have the PR marketing sense, and who can actually get credible people to sit down and talk with them. Because what happens now is when anybody major player gets interested in BSV, they just Google it or Everybody on the internet says, exactly. let me protect you from the scam. And they just buy into the narrative. And you need somebody that can overcome that. You know or what? who like isn't online or something. Because I feel like you got to have some real stones to stand up to the Twitter mob when they come after you and share all these links saying, Craig is a scammer, scammer blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you've lost all credibility by incorporating this coin. That's not easy to do. Maybe that's why Tuvalu is perfect because they have a week-long delay <laughs> when their internet hits the rest of the... Um, no, listen, listen, this Tuvalu thing. That's actually cool. That's actually a really cool use case thing, right? But here's, we're not, that option of just thinking it's cool and a potentially interesting proof of concept is, no, is not available to us because of the narrative that's been spun ahead of time. This is like Lonzo Ball having a respectable double-double two games in a row and winning one of those games. That's not cool because his dad has gone on for a year making grandiose claims that he's going to take him to the finals, right? Like- right. So, so because of all the huge claims, this is actually a neat thing. This would be cool for any cryptocurrency yeah. to get a, yeah. to get a, a sovereign state, even if it's 11,000 people on a very small island to say, hey, we're going to use this for all of our records and all of a sudden. That's kind of neat. That's kind of cool. But like, it's boring now because of all the bluster, you know? And, and it seems like this massive compromise. Like you, you're, you've been promising that you're going to have, you know, you're going to be throwing people in jail. Governments all around the world are going to be like, oh my gosh, Craig is actually Satoshi. Oh, look at all this criminal activity. And then the thing, 
the thing you deliver that somebody else delivers on that you take credit for is a little tiny island nation that said, okay, yeah, well, we'll, we'll experiment and see if maybe it works. You know, yeah, it's I saw like, that post yeah. by Craig and it seemed kind of sad where there was that, that post in, in Slack channel to his, his sycophants, which as we, as I've said, at least, uh, like kind of what kind of person, you know, you can judge someone to some extent by the people they keep company with. And you have a, a guy who claims to be a super genius hanging out in the chat room with like morons. Um, <laughs> what, you know, what does that tell you? But he had the post that said something like they got, it was, he was saying something like they got, they got X, like we got a country. And I was like, oh, okay. like they just seemed so sad because it's like, you're bragging about a, a, a unknown island. Oh, it was nation. PayPal. It was PayPal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, got, they got PayPal. No big deal. We got a sovereign nation. Well, how many people use PayPal and how many yeah. people live in Tuvalu? PayPal will be a much bigger on-ramp to Bitcoin, even if it's not our ideal, even if, it, you know, in many ways, it's like a regression, you know, talking about an island nation that has, you know, less people than like, uh, a small uh, county in the U.S. I mean, I mean, it's like eleven thousand people. It's like tiny. I think part and, of the- and even then, and also don't don't celebrate like you just won the NBA finals right. when, when you only have clinched a playoff berth, right? You, you, you know, like that's big talk to be like, we got a country. Wait, have you? You have an announcement. You have an announcement that they seem to currently be willing to stand by. But per my earlier comments, this ain't even the most exciting announcement you've had. You've had more exciting announcements than this that haven't been delivered on. So don't celebrate like you won the finals. It's interesting. It's cool. Let's see what happens. But for all I know, that might not even be a thing that materializes. I, I, I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't hang my hat on it. Yeah, like EHR. That I, I when they said we're not going to be putting the files on chain, we're going to be putting the hashes of the files. That's essentially that takes away ninety percent. That's that's essentially saying okay, we're not doing the MetaNet thing. We're doing something that we could do on BCH. There's literally, no, you could do that on BTC, hell, if you wanted to. It would just be a little bit more expensive. Like you could just put a, hat, it's a tiny little string of data into the op return. That's nothing to be excited about. So, so this, is, this is why, this is kind of how I feel about the k.im, the kim.com thing. It reminds me of, of the BSV approach to making a big announcement. And then you go dig a little bit and you're like, what the hell is this? Does it even make sense? Is this going to come about? And I look, I do I I don't want to ever rip on another entrepreneur or say your idea is stupid, your startup's gonna fail. I'm not trying to play that game at all. I hope it succeeds. I think it's awesome that it's that it's right. going forward. I'm simply saying if I'm gonna assess the impact to BCH, even if the website's outdated, the fact that it's still outdated and it's still live, when I go to it, it's like this is a project that's been going since 2016. It's four years in. It has a white paper, which is a huge red flag to me. A startup that starts with a white paper feels like it was created on a whiteboard with a bunch of nerds who already made a bunch of money elsewhere and are like, let's disrupt the next industry. And that just doesn't usually succeed. Front and center on the page are names of prominent board members, legal counsel, people's brand who are just like, look, respectable person, respectable person, which screams to me, you're paying way too much money to too many people. You're spending time on legal stuff four years in exploring the lightning network as a possible, like all the things that if I was a VC, I would say, I don't think that's the consumer app that's going to take off versus the one that's a couple hackers in their basement tinking around. And, you know, they've got something that's not polished, right? Like, I'm like, eh, I mean, when you go out, you create a Dropbox and then you potentially in the future can pay with BCH. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's big. 
but I'm like, I'll get excited about it when I actually see people using it and it increasing the, the transactions. Look at the number of transactions on BCH. They're like non-existent. So like, show me that, then I'll get excited. I'm not willing to get excited over announcements because everybody has announcements in crypto and they're almost always bullshit. One of the things that it'll do, even if the actual product doesn't deliver, is that it's going to offer cover to other entrepreneurs who want to try to use big block Bitcoin. And uh, if so you that have- So uh, what was that guy, Draper? They don't get Drapered? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, in, in BSV, there's no cover, pretty much. You, you got to be a radical, independent entrepreneur to be building something on BSV and withstand the type of hatred and criticism that you're going to get online. If you're not somebody with that psychology, you're going to say, hey, look, this is the respectable big block Bitcoin. I'm a respectable guy. Look, Kim.com's using it. It's integrated into Coinbase. Is he respectable? And, well, like I, the, I love him. From in what the I dev know community, I would say, yeah. Kim, Kim gets in the room with some really big players. Okay. Kim, Kim may have like, you know, Kim's one of those guys who, yeah, is like definitely on, uh, definitely controversial and contrarian. And there'll be a lot of people who hate on him. But there'll be a lot of people who are mainstream finance guys who will be excited about talking to Kim and look at Kim and say, hey, like, I mean, I res- as, far as, as far as I can tell about the guy, the guy's pretty awesome. Now, I, don't, I don't know his whole backstory, but he seemed to me from my interactions with him and, and he's a great guy. He seems like yeah, a great what, guy. What I do know about him, which is from a few articles years ago, uh, he's my kind of rebel. Yeah. And let's remember before, we, before, before you dog on him too much, Isaac. I mean, I'm, I'm not dogging on him. I'm not dogging on him. I'm just saying the project itself just doesn't have the signs of something that I see having momentum. It feels like it has backwards momentum. Like it's been four years, whatever. Like, and again, I, People who made a ton of money on something else years ago almost never have the hunger to do a consumer app and do it again in the same way. Sometimes they do, but I'm just, I'm just purely objective. I have nothing, nothing against him or the project. It just doesn't make me feel like I'm confident right now. And on the point of respectability, I think among dev types who are going to be interested in blockchain technology and building apps, I think Kim would have a very high approval rating. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You mean Derek, there will be like a thousand say? people? I was just going to say, I mean, Kim has an actual track record of success. I mean, I understand your point about the hunger and everything else, but like, what else do you go on? Like, like, cause you can, you can make the case like, yes, like guys who have been very successful in the past don't necessarily have the hunger to do something else afterwards. I mean, I get that. But you have counters to that. Like Ev Williams, who founded Twitter. Well, on the other hand, it's like, what, what, what's the other standard by which you judge these things? Because then, then you're in a situation where you're saying, well, God, what about guys who haven't had success? Yeah. You know, like in the end of the day, like a guy who's had success, you know, this is a guy who not only has had success, that's an understatement. Like mega upload was like 4% of internet traffic at its height. Like it was massive. I, I guess, I guess, to me, it feels like I've just, I've seen a pattern with consumer apps, especially where if the first time you hear about it, it's because users, you hear the fifth or sixth or seventh person on Twitter mentioning it like Clubhouse, right? Like uh, Substack, uh, like Slack, right? When I finally started using these apps and Slack isn't consumer, but it was because it just was happening with more and more frequency that people who were using it we're yeah. talking about it. And I was like, what is this thing? When the first time you hear about it, it's a big announcement. And then six months later, another announcement that progress has been made. And then three yeah. months later, another announcement. And you've never heard it come from the people who are using it. And it's slowly building a user base. It just almost is never the case that those types of consumer apps succeed. 
Yeah, I, I'm seeing this now with um, uh, Filecoin, the IPFS thing. So like uh, I'm on this, this uh, I'm trying to do this thing where I'm, I'm integrating podcasts in the blockchain and I'm looking for the best, like the objectively best mechanism for decentralized storage and naturally BSV comes up, but I'm seeing if there are cheaper options, if I can reduce cost to the consumer tenfold, that's great. And so um, one of the, there are, it's not actually a big market of people that are trying to have decentralized um, storage, like permanent storage in particular. Um, IPFS is this technology, which is really cool storage technology. The people who created it were created a new coin called Filecoin and it got massive hype, ma unbelievable. It might, might have raised the most money. I don't know. It's like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, best engineers from all over the place, all these prominent announcements. And finally they go live and I'm like, okay, this looks like a plausible candidate for what I would want. You dive into details and it's massively over-engineered. It's very clear this is not something that was like an organic, this did not come up from a visionary saying, this is the, what the end product needs to look like. This is how we're going to get there. This came from getting the engineers together in the room and saying, okay, we're going to make an awesome technology. And it's shit. It's not even permanent storage. It's like, it's so over-engineered. You, you, you have to have these short-term contracts with uh, people who are storing um, storing your data, and then you have to have another contract with them to retrieve the data. And it's all, it's all temporary. You have to manage it. It's like, it's a pain in the ass. It'd be so much easier just to put the data on something like BSV, have a one-time fee, even if it's more expensive and you don't have to screw around with it. So I feel like that's exactly what you're talking about. When, when it's the big, the official thing that all the smart people are doing, it's probably not going to be a great product. Well, at least he's not doing an ICO because like that, that's just like, seems to be a terrible model. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you can get away with that anymore. Not really. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's still ICOs, but the, the amount of money raised on ICOs has dropped precipitously. Um, I, I'm curious about uh, this pump right now, uh, led, led by BTC. Um, what do you guys think? Why is it happening? How long is it going to go? Um, you know, I'm curious that, and, and, and is this, and is this, um, is this just all a good thing across the board? Are you worried about tether or unsustainable things or pump and dump or whatever? What are your thoughts? Always worried about tether, man, that there's so much smoke around that project. And I, I think, uh, I think it's net going to be good. I think the more money that sits in crypto is probably a good thing. Um, I think it's very plausible that over time, the BTC gains are going to die out and people are going to be looking to, to the altcoins to make what crypto gains used to be, you know, make their 10x, make their 50x. Um, so I think that's a good thing. I'm worried about what happens when this, once this pops. I mean, that's always the scary part. I think it plausibly could, you know, we could still have another doubling or more left in this run. But man, when that, when that bubble pops it's going to be ugly and the altcoins are going to be smashed again like it, it and the thing with these cycles is you could have an 80 percent drop no problem like btc go to up, up to i don't know 80k and then it drops you know uh 80 percent over a period of a few months and it's like oh okay now crypto's dead for another three years and that's never fun yeah that that might be that might be what happens um my my alternative possibility, which is just, I really don't know what's going to happen is, is that a lot of this is to do with, um, uh, having the more institutional money coming in, um, and, uh, FOMO basically, 
So, I mean, you can look at the exchange, the, the data on exchanges, and it, it does look like we're, we're reaching sort of a liquidity crunch where there'll be, there's, you know, all time lows of Bitcoin actually available in circulation to buy. Um, whether that stays that way or whether people start like seeking profit or whether this is, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I might, my gut take, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not like super into investing or whatever, is that this doesn't have very much at all to do with Bitcoin itself or any cryptos or institutional people or new people suddenly learning what Bitcoin is and realizing this is the future of store of value or of money or whatever. If you are familiar with the venture capital industry right now, the real estate industry right now, the stock market right now, pumping like crazy. People want to, they're buying up land sight unseen in other states and other cities like crazy, just as a store of value because the dollar is getting created like crazy. People are just looking for places to, to I, like never before VCs are emailing me, hey, you want to tell you raising money? No, don't, not, not raise money. Don't need to raise money for probably a couple of years, if, if ever again. Are you sure? They're, they're desperate for places to put money. Real estate investors, desperate for places to put money. I mean, people are doing crazy things. Bitcoin and crypto actually took a while. This was going on for mm. several months before this pump happened in real estate and in the stock. Look at the stock market. It makes no sense whatsoever, with the exception of the companies who are benefiting from the closure of all their competitors, uh, you know, like Uber Eats and all that shit. Um, it makes no sense. Money is desperate to find an outlet. It's almost entirely inflation. Yes, that brings a little bit more people getting educated and getting interested on other grounds, but I think it's largely just, okay, I need places to put this freaking money. I'm going to put some in stocks, some in startups, some in real estate, some in crypto, some in gold. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? That's a really interesting theory because that, this is, that's sort of the scenario that a lot of Bitcoiners and hard money people have been theorizing about for a long period of time that at some point whenever that inflation ball rolls ooh, it's going to be nasty especially this was all pre-covid and pre the latest inflationary policies from the fed so if that's the case oh shit i don't know what we're on the the beginnings of um because inflation was going to be a problem five years ago but now if if we're actually having money flee the dollar into things like crypto we might see the the indefinite bull run <laughs> It's like, show me anything exciting with energy. Oh, Elon Musk, he's exciting. He has energy. Yeah. Tesla stock is like even more than Bitcoin, right? Like I just want to put my money somewhere because I don't want it to sit in a bank or in it's some possible. bond or something, you know? TK, you get to pick the next topic. You look, like a, you look like you're part of the witness protection program with the black hat and the black shirt and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm reporting you guys right now, like to law officials, everything you're saying about BSV. <laughs> no, man, I, I, I like your, your theory. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. One thing I would say in response to this idea that this is going to be some heyday for BSV, one of the reasons why I'm so hard on these undelivered promises is because I think it's important for, for people to not get too easily excited about about a victory when there's a lot of work left to be done. And so something that you hear a lot of now is, oh, if, if BTC drops, and once, once people see how much of a Ponzi this is, then that's gonna be a win for BSV. And usually when people get wrecked, 
and, and, and when they look stupid in the process and find out that they're wrong, they're not eager to find out, oh, well, what was the correct crypto that I could have put my money in? When people get wrecked and embarrassed, their skepticism increases. And if you come to them saying, hey, look, the reason you got wrecked is because the real original Bitcoin over here was the true store of value. They're going to go, no, I'm way more skeptical about anything, even the truth than I was before, because I got burned by a pitch that sounded just like that. So I'm not of the persuasion that it's going to be good for BSV in the short to midterm if, midterm if BTC drops. I think it's going to make a lot, a lot of people look at crypto in general as this big scammy thing. And there's going to be a, a major PR battle to win that trust back. And BSV does not look well positioned to win any PR battles right now, major or minor. <laughs> well, if BTC drops too, I mean, significant, let's say BTC dropped 80%, BSV is going to drop like 200%. <laughs> I mean, like, like, so BTC, you know, like, go like negative, like, like you're at the point, like they're BTC gonna come, will truly gonna come repo my house. Just yeah, like BSV you, you, and obviously, that, obviously that's an exaggeration, but like B, BSV will truly go down. A tremendous amount of money like like it's yeah. not going to be some situation where btc like, is killed by craig's lawsuit and bsv pumps to a gajillion dollars like that's that's not going to happen and, and suppose not- you could make the case that it's uncut that it appears to be uncoupled right now because the people that are in bsv are kind of like the the fundamentals so that yeah. maybe those people don't move so that's possible I think that's fair. I think that's fair uh, because i think a lot of the more speculative investors or the, the more I don't know, more mindful or something investors will have already been scared out of the BSV um, uh, market. But do you, do you see TK, like, is there any life? Well, I'm just going to use your analogy. Okay. The, the best analogy of the, the person going to the gym, like before it was BCH was a strong person and then he stopped going to the gym and got fat. And then BSV was the guy in the gym getting strong. Do you see BSV? There's progress in BSV. Right now, I haven't been super involved and paying attention. seems like there's just regression and stagnation. Is there any life other than the Twitch people? Here, here, here's the analogy I'll use to, to illustrate the power of framing. Let's say I walked up to you randomly and I was like, hey, Steve, I really appreciate just the guy that you are. I want to give you this $100, man, just as a token of my appreciation. How would you feel about that? I would accept. You have my payout, right? now let's switch it up let's say that i owe you two hundred dollars because it's money that i borrowed from you last year and then i come up to you and i say hey steve i just want to give you a token of appreciation man here's a hundred dollars how are you gonna feel (laughs) you're like you you prick you got some you got another hundred bucks to make up yeah in 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 both situations i gave you the same amount of money but one of them caused you to be really impressed with me and the other caused you to be confused and kind of annoyed with me. And it's all about the framing, right? Because in one scenario, you expect it more. In another scenario, you didn't expect anything. I think BSV is the guy that goes to the gym and works out every day and gets a lot done, but who also brags about the marathon that he's gonna run next week and never does that. And, every, and it's so easy because of this guy's own words for people to focus on that and overlook the actual achievements. So, so as an example, based on what Derek said earlier, Think about whenever we've heard from Craig, at least in terms of promises and predictions, not in terms of like the the interviews that he does with Ryan X. Charles that are more about philosophy, but whenever he makes promises and predictions, we see these little private Slack messages, right? And it's stuff like 2021 is the year. And it's always like some threat or something like that, that just 
doesn't happen. Imagine if he didn't do any of that. And he did the stuff that Shatters does, which is really interesting to me because all the great announcements always come from Shatters. It's almost like Craig doesn't even announce them. It, it feels like he's not even impressed with them. Imagine if Craig only limited him, himself to the announcements that Shatters makes. We would be looking at him right now as, or the, the broader world, as the only dude that's actually delivering. Because when it comes to the protocol, BSV is absolutely killing it. They do what they say they're going to do. Yeah, sometimes there may be like delays in development, but they always show up and deliver and make progress. It's just, that's not when you really hear from Craig and Calvin. You hear from them every day about all this other stuff and that's what gets the attention. So I think in terms of protocol development, B is, B is doing really well. I still love the fact that it's a playground for experimentation, even though all projects built on it aren't good because that's a useful signal. But I think the biggest problem in BSV is the narrative. It remains the case that anyone who considers adopting BSV is going to have to be this inordinately courageous person who's willing to be persecuted yeah. and have their job threatened just, just to support it publicly. And that is a problem. This seems like a, a, an interesting position to be in because I think for a while, BSV had a lot. It even had narrative momentum. It had a lot of momentum going for it. And then I think it's failed to deliver outside of the some of the cool companies, you know, Streamanity and Twitch that have come around in the past year or whatever. You know, those, those are legit. Those are That's life. But I haven't seen anything else more than that outside of the protocol. It's kind of a weird position to be in, though, because it... What I like about BSV, the BSV culture is it's very entrepreneurial. It's very build centric. But now it almost sounds like the case is, hey, look, we have a better technical protocol, but we've scared off. We've set an environment in which unless you have big cojones, you're not going to be uh, your, your entrepreneurship is not going to be appreciated by the broader world. But our but our tech is better. To me, that seems like, well, that's kind of a weak pitch now to say, hey, we have a, and, and, and even the superiority of the protocol is not something that's probably going to be particularly relevant for most use cases because BCH, by contrast, can do pretty much anything BSV can do. Now, in the, in the future, if you have a massively successful project, yeah, BCH can't scale right now like BSV can, but that's very abstract and distant. So it's like, is the, is the BSV pitch a technical pitch at this point? So here's my theory on why so many people talk about law. Are there a bunch of statists and authoritarians in BSV? It certainly seems so. I, I think there are. But I think the reason people talk mostly about law is really this. People know that at the end of the day, if they go over to you know the brothers in Ethereum and say, hey, come, come over here and build on that, the reaction is going to be predictable, right? People are going to be like, oh, that's a scam. It's Craig Wright. It's all this kind of stuff. And they're experiencing no success with proselytizing, getting people to come over. Right. And so there's kind of this hope that, well, maybe law will eliminate all the competition and people will be forced to use BSV because that's all that's left. And so there's kind of like this hope, and I think it's a rather naive hope, that all the exchange owners, that all the altcoin leaders and developers, all the entrepreneurs, everybody's going to end up in jail. All these coins are going to be destroyed and there's only going to be one law-abiding blockchain remaining and then even though everyone still hates Craig, even though they still mistrust Calvin, oh, they really need it and they'll have to come over, which is, which, which is why I think instead of saying to Kim.com, hey, man, come build that over at BSV, there's kind of like this attitude of like, hey, you're violating one of our patents. And I think, I think that too is naive, but I think that's what a lot of people are hoping for. 
It's, it's so I just, the, I'm just reading this tweet by Calvin that says, uh, it's just, just yes, last night, I think. We are not playing the pump and dump game as exchanges will dump on us. We are rainy, waiting for stronger BSB exchanges to emerge this year. Then we will expose ourselves. That, that's, that's his way of saying, hey, everybody else is pumping more than us, but don't worry, it's all part of the plan. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. In terms of um, you know, energy and stuff, it's again, it's a very small number that I'm familiar with, but a very high caliber. So like the Matterpool people are pretty interesting and they're actually working and they're actually building the, the Twitch people, um, Jack Lou and his team, which have Relay X and Streamanity um, and even Dimely. There's been a lot of things sort of proof of concept, like prototypes like Dimely, right? Like no one's really using it, but the fact that it literally works today to do this like automated video calls where you're being charged by the minute in cents or fractions of a, like. Yeah, that was six really months cool. ago, right? That and was still people, in the window of momentum where BSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Momentum, and, right? and they haven't, and here's, here's what I'm saying. All of those work and they work incredibly well and they're really cool. None of them have blown up um, for one reason that may or may not ever be surmountable. Um, and that's KYC. You just can't, because the whole world, it's too late. They view all cryptos as just an investment vehicle. They're regulated and treated as an investment vehicle. So the idea of building consumer apps with micropayments where the only reason you need crypto is to use it, to spend a few cents on a video or a tweet, none of that stuff, it's either not legal or it's gray area and companies like Stripe and whatever are not willing to take that risk. So that means you can't appeal to anyone except for people who already love BSV with those apps. And that is a problem. And so like RelayX has a, a, a card coming out, a Visa card, which is, which is really cool actually. They negotiated a deal with Visa and it's gonna allow like in like 50 different currencies. So you can spend with a Visa card and it'll come right out of your RelayX wallet, the, the BSV, and you can spend on dollars or whatever you want. That's really awesome. It solves one side of the equation, but the spending BSV on real world goods side is not really the side that's gonna drive the usage. It's using BSV, spending it or earning it on apps that are only possible because of BSV, which is like micropayments, instant splits of revenue among 10 people, um, data going on chain and decentralized. These things are incredible and no tech that I have yet discovered can do them except BSV, but you can't get a normie. That's why we get 100 to 150 views max on our videos on Streamanity because there's not enough people when we would get 5,000 on YouTube. Even, even if it was, you know, oh, well, they won't pay the price. Even if we put it at one penny, we'd still get a couple hundred on Streamanity because you can't go on and click pay to watch this video and then it's like, where's your BSV? I got to go set up a wallet. How are you going to fill your right. wallet? I don't freaking know. All the places I can buy BSV are like scary, ridiculous. I got to upload a passport. Half the time it doesn't work. It's a joke. It's like, so the consumer app use case to me is the most exciting and the one that people have built real things today that are utterly revolutionary and could change the whole internet of content creation and consumption but the consumers can't use them because of law specifically. And I don't know if that's surmountable. And if it's surmountable, yeah. it's certainly not going to be anyone in BSV that exactly. gets those laws changed or has the courage to just ignore them. No, the, the, the type of people that are going to surmount that problem are the Roger Veers of the world who have a particular ideology about 
their relationship with the state and who are willing to kind of push the envelope. He'll either or, surmount or, it, uh, move around it, or go to jail for it, right? And I think you right. need to have that attitude. Yeah, and like what they did with um, local.bitcoin.com, right? That this was an this was clever innovation where they're not breaking laws, but they made it non-custodial in such a way where they're they're essentially avoiding a bunch of the regulations in a legal way. You know, to, yeah, that's the that, same way that side shift AI. Yeah. And now, actually, I don't know if you saw the announcement from Eric Voorhees today, but Shapeshift is going no KYC again. Oh, they've, fantastic. They've restructured their uh, business. Oh. So that they're not, it's huge. It's, it's one wow. of the biggest announcements in a long time. And I guess think. what? Um, guess what? That's a great place, no KYC, to inter exchange with crypto. Guess what? They don't use SV because they hate Craig Wright. Exactly. And, and would the people, would the, would the, the, the minds in SV even want that? Would they want the, the KYC free world? Or would they say, no, no, it's better for us to have KYC because that's compliant with the law? You know, it, 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 like, like other than maybe a couple of people who are the entrepreneurs in BSV, in that culture, would you say there would be a, pre there's, it seems to be a preference and eagerness for compliance to KYC. All, all of the NPCs oh, yeah. in BSV, um, which are you know maybe the majority of people tweeting about it, um, love KYC. The actual people who are building are almost all yeah. completely free market radicals who would not like it, um, right. which is a weird dichotomy to have the builders building actual apps be radical free market people, much more in line ideologically with Roger Ver and BCH. The people who are the loudest uh, organizations being law and you know chain people, and all the, the normie followers are also yep. law, you know, whatever people. It's a very weird mix. Yeah, it's like I remember it's, watching an interview with Craig where he's he's talking about, he, he's like thrilled to talk about how if he spent more than $5,000 in a certain window of time at a restaurant, well, then he should be filling out KYC documents at the restaurant. And that restaurant is, must be legally compliant. <laughs> you know, like, KYC oh was, was like, you know, as we know it today, it was invented as a part of the shitty Patriot Act, just as a mass surveillance technique where all of the cost is put on businesses. Instead of the FBI and all these people doing their damn job and trying to trace down money of, they're like, we're gonna make all businesses just do it for every single person all the time. And then we'll have this treasure trove of, like this is not some integral thing to the security of the world. This is some horrid, horrid bullshit that's caused untold harm. But hey, so if the wrote, Bitcoin Association, for example, Literally, their only job was to convince a carve out to say KYC doesn't yeah. apply at all to consumer apps where you're spending small amounts of money. Technically, it's like under $200. You can't, but it's all gray and companies like Stripe, like all the payment processors are afraid to use it. And if you could convince one of them or convince some regulators to say, yeah, that's cool. This is totally different. You can't launder money efficiently by five cents a twitch. Um, and you can onboard people with a credit card all day long. That would be the most productive thing they could possibly do. Yeah. Hey, so I wrote this about BSV today uh, on, on Reddit because someone asked the difference between BCH and BSV. And I, I tried to give an honest answer. So I talked about the pros and cons, but I, this, this little excerpt is and relevant. You were able I said, to shill by both sides. I'm sure, yeah. But no, I, I think so, yeah. I got to go read the comments, but I'm sure both sides hate me. I said, the way I feel about this whole situation in BSV is that it's a combination between Galt Gulch with a few legit builders in a crypto North Korea ruled by a cartoonish strongman where everyone is scared of speaking their own minds, getting sued or attacked by street mobs, enforcing the rule of the great leader. 
And that's basically how I feel. It's like, there are some really great people. And then there's like this kind of like scary, weird element where you're like, am I allowed to say this? Let's talk about, cause we've mentioned KYC and all this stuff. Let's talk about privacy. I think something that no one is really talking about in BTC as this bull runs happening, BCH is kind of even more radical in there. Let's keep the freedom alive thing. BSV seems to embrace the state and think that if you just shine light on the world, that I think it's underappreciated the extent to which the invention of Bitcoin um, and certainly where it's going right now might actually be a massive, massive step backward for personal liberty. Whether that was the intention or whether it was hijacked accidentally or whether it was an inevitable accidental outcome, I don't know. But this is a very real possibility. The idea of a panopticoin, as I think Steve uh, coined the phrase in several episodes ago, the idea that everything you do is all connected in one unified grid, right? We're like, okay, now you have, we're already talking, we already have on our, all of our cell phones track and trace technology that may or may not work or be enabled, but it's there to say whether you were around another person who was around another person who tested positive for COVID, for example, um, and you can be denied entry and access to things based on that. You've got this sort of grid and now all of your financial exchanges can also be, everything's moving to the cloud and it's all interchangeable and connectable. And I don't care if it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, USDC, or something we have yet to see. So far, all of them can do this. They're public ledgers. They can absolutely tie everything back to you without that much difficulty. Monero and Zcash might make it more difficult, but still doable to, to, to someone really motivated. But a world of hyper-Bitcoinization might be a dystopian hellhole. And no one talks about that possibility. What do you think? Well, especially with KYC, I mean, if you talked about like, I mean, if, if you're t- with KYC and with, <clears throat> with the fact that industry standards don't exist really for, for maybe mitigating some of that risk, you're in a situation now where most people are buying their Bitcoin on exchanges. So they're doxing themselves right there. Most people don't have good privacy practices. Most wallets don't have good built-in privacy practices. People spending it are spending it on KYC websites. So, you know, you're at a point now where a large number of Bitcoin have already been basically made trackable and traceable. And uh, yeah, it's pretty dangerous. I mean, both both from the perspective of the state, but also now you start looking into, you know, <clears throat> massive data hacks where people have doxed themselves on their exchanges. And now it's not just the state, it's like blackmailers on the internet and dark, uh, uh, selling information that reveals all your financial holdings, that reveals um, personal address. Yeah, personal address. I mean, there's some shady stuff that could happen where where we we, we unite the the dark beasts of both the the underworld outside the state and the state, yeah. and it's it's really scary. I think. I mean, the fact that the fact that people basically know how much money Satoshi has if he's still alive, he or she is still alive. And that they can basically estimate how much Bitcoin belongs to some of the other OGs in the space. Um, that's kind of terrifying in and of itself, right? Let alone all of this kind of new stuff. And now you add on all the entry points and exit points that the mass users are going to gain are PayPal, 
or Robin Hood or whatever, where they're not really owning it. They're sort of buying shares in it. And all that stuff is totally regulatory compliant KYC, all this kind of stuff. Like I could see a world in which Bitcoin winning means liberty losing. Yeah, I'm less scared of Panopticoin on BTC because it's essentially just going to be custodial. So it's there's nothing there's nothing like uniquely sinister about custodial BTC more than just going through PayPal for all of your transactions. So it's you know, no worse I, than the current banking system, but it's not really any better. Right. I like BSV is could be potentially more scary because then you're talking about like at the you're talking about, I feel like, um, more control or more a more unique level of surveillance. Granularity. With big block. Yeah, yeah. The granularity of it with big block Bitcoin is something that could truly be terrifying versus something like, like BTC. There are there are limitations that don't don't scare me as much. I also think like the I've been thinking a lot more about this because there was a there was a period of time where it was unclear whether. BTC success was a, a net positive trade-off for freedom because you could imagine, wow, we go to the BTC standard and then we're on the hard money standard. Yeah, maybe you give up some some privacy to the state, but at least you are inflation-proof. And now I just think there's a 0% chance of that happening. Like if you have BTC incorporated into the state and everything is custodial, there is no way that they're going to not uh, have a fractional system. Like there is no reason, there'd be no technical reason whatsoever why you would have to actually move the Bitcoin on chain or why your little credits that you get that are supposed to represent BTC or correspond one-to-one -to, -one to them. I'll put it this way. Until Bitcoin is declared illegal, I won't believe that it's a legitimate threat to the state. Like, yeah. just like voting. If it was a yeah. legitimate threat to the powers that be, it would be illegal, right? Like, yeah. Um, like in, in, a, in a weird sort of way, right? Like there's a, there's a world in which maybe it goes too fast and it becomes universal too fast. And then it sort of can't be made illegal, but it's sort of, you know, that maybe the way the internet has, but it can start to get nefarious elements and whatever. But like, I think we're well past that. And if the more that it's embraced and allowed by regulators, the more it's been deemed, yeah, this is not a threat to our absolute need to have the printing press. There yeah. is no war in modern history, maybe any of history that would have been possible without the ability to inflate. You think states, war is the health of the state. It is the state. You think they're gonna give up their ability to wage war because Bitcoin code is law? Yeah, and th this is like the ultimate autistic libertarian fallacy here. The idea that the technical specifications are gonna restrain the state in a meaningful way when it's entirely custodial. They're like, no, no, you understand. Look at the protocol. With the protocol, you can't create new Bitcoin. Okay, Keto, but um, <laughs> the, now you have a custodial system, which means there's no technical reason, which is tying the, the tokens that you're issued to the tokens that are in the protocol. It's this absolutely elementary mistake. It reminds which me of one of those- may already be the case with Tether, by the way. It could be. It, it reminds me of one of these internet comics where it's like uh, the guy's trying to it's like two nerds talking about how they're going to encrypt this uh, important data. And they're like, oh man, I've used this algorithm that would take a million years to crack the, the password. It's so super secure. And then like at the next uh, scene, it's some guy saying, here's this $5 wrench, beat the guy over the head till he gives you the password. You know? <laughs> like the same thing going on here. Yeah. I, I see it. I see what's probably going to happen is what's a likely scenario is something like, fee pressure pushes people towards custodial options 
Um, and just like people are just kind of onboard on custodial options too and never move it. Like if people are onboarding with PayPal and other, these other services like that, they're probably never going to take their Bitcoin off of those services. So once that starts to happen, there's, there's a lot more power the state has to clamp down and regulate. Because you can imagine if everyone's custodying their own Bitcoin, uh, it's, it's hard to enforce some of those rules. But if you're talking about a large number of Bitcoin users have all their Bitcoin stuck on exchanges and all, like suddenly you, you pass some regulations and it's like, hey, too late, right? And you, you just have to put it, and that, the next step from there is yeah. fractional reserve. Right. These people think like that, you, you, okay, the blockchain is this amazing technology. You're not using the blockchain when you are going through a third party to use the blockchain for you. Like even if you have your coins, you, you own them yourself, but the fees are $1,000 to use, you're effectively not going to be using the blockchain still. And, and the coins that are the, the effective coins, the PayPal tokens that are going to be traded are not going to eat in each transaction is not going to correspond to a blockchain transaction. So, so let me, and let me make clear like that, you know, that's the, Hey, this is not some utopian uh, libertarian outcome, especially if you're a maximalist, if you think we get to a world where Bitcoin, all the other altcoins die and Bitcoin is the world standard, whatever. The only way in which I see that happening is if Bitcoin is completely unthreatening to the state and, you know, whatever. However, in a multi-coin world, this, I still think on net is a win for liberty because it's optionality. Yeah. Even if it's in, right. even if it's a short-term thing, even if the window closes a year from now, and we had 12 years where people got to use cryptocurrencies in a lot of different ways. During those 12 years, a lot of people got to gain a little bit more freedom because of their ability to use that. Silk Road, while it existed, people got to gain a little bit more freedom to buy marijuana or whatever before it closed down. And if they stick around, it's like more options on the yep. whole. You're always in a game of cat and mouse with regulators and thugs. And it's never like we won once and for all because we wrote some code. You live in a ever fluctuating world and the beliefs people hold, the powers that it's always changing and the regulators are usually playing catch up. And so like, yes, more of it. I love it. Have the gray markets, have the privacy coins, have the mixers, have Bitcoin, have the, it gives more optionality. It is a win for freedom sort of on the whole. But I think this idea that like one single thing, um, you know, one single coin is going to become the new world currency and then all governments will basically just wither and die um, Ridiculous. I don't think it's going to go down that way at all. And, and I'll throw in one more thing about that. That's scary in some other ways too. If you lived in Nashville on Christmas day for the end for the next two or three days, um, you had no cell phone service, no internet service, no direct TV service, no telephone service. And if all your money was in Bitcoin and you wanted to transact, you were fucked for an indefinite amount of time. So you want optionality. You want to have something like a cash or a smaller tradable asset. Maybe you want to have some gold. Maybe you want to have some Bitcoin. Maybe you want to have some in a custodial wallet that you can use for, you know, whatever simple transactions you want to have someone. Like, I think the options matter. I think looking at it as there's one thing and if we achieve it, we'll be free forever is a fool's errand. And it's more like, how can I position my life so that I'm always kind of one step ahead of the state in this ever shifting world? Um, you know, it's just, again, it's just like the internet. You can use it in a way that actually restricts your freedom or a way that enhances it or a little bit of both. So both sides of this suffer from, from idiotic fallacy. You just described one of them or, or idiotic idea, let's say of the future. You described one of them on BTC, but I think BSVs is like equally stupid. The idea that governments are going to use a traceable 
currency for all of their financial activity so that individuals on the internet can audit them will never happen. Man, I would really like to do this black budget program, but unfortunately I can't because our accounting system is on BSV and everyone will code is law. Nobody is going to, not going to happen. Even if governments were to adopt BSV as the official currency, they would not use it in such a way. They would find a way to do it where it's anonymous. That's BCH what is the want. most is the most uh, not just bad US. government, not just North Korea. You know, like they say, North Korea benefits from anonymity. No, the United States government benefits from anonymity. Every single government around the world wants anonymity. I, and I think BCH has the most that I've seen realist approach yeah. about this, like just kind of understanding these things. Um, that no, we're not just like completely indestructible because we have code and no, uh, we can't just comply with the law and have good things happen. They understand the dance of trying to evade and escape and be one step ahead of, of this stuff. TK, you've been quiet for too long. We're going to get accused of all kinds of horrible things. Well, I, I don't want to assume that privacy as BSV allows is necessarily going to lead to um, some society in which everything that we do is traceable. I'm, I'm open to the possibility that there can be a creative way of using BSV such that it has a sufficient amount of privacy to give us all of the things we think we need anonymity for. And I actually crave more discussions and debates on that. The problem, however, is that it's almost impossible to get those discussions going because Whenever someone expresses concerns about anonymity, I see this happen to Derek all the time, they immediately get accused of just loving criminals and like, oh, yeah, okay, Derek, you can still do your drugs. And it's like, no, like, don't, don't be naive here. The definition of a good government is, is a government that agrees with, uh, is a government that's, that's currently occupied by somebody who agrees with your concept of good which means by definition that government is also going to be bad in some ways relative to your beliefs. And we should never underestimate a government's ability to criminalize something that was previously good. It happens all the time. And, and our government is no exception to that. So we shouldn't be naive and we shouldn't, we shouldn't advocate this, this view that, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't care about anonymity. No, like anonymity is a major concern, but can the privacy that, that BSV allows for give us that. I'm not convinced that it's not. I'm not convinced that BSV will just be like a mark of the beast type tool. But I think the concern is legitimate. And I think it needs to be answered and, and debated for sure. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not convinced to well either necessarily. But and unless I mean, what I am convinced is, is that if we enter a world where we have uh, BSV integrating with VAT taxes and with yes. KYC, and stuff like that, 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 that is a likely outcome. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything inherent in the technology right now that requires that we necessarily enter that kind of world. I just think that there's a variety of different factors at play. It's not just the technology, it's not just what BSV can do, it's, it's, it's how it interacts with the world that will determine that. And yeah. I don't always we, see- We shouldn't this. trump out the phrase within law as some sort of blanket immunization from these negative possibilities you're talking about. Yeah, and I feel like the the mark of the beast scenario is much more likely the tighter BSV in particular is integrated into the state. So, so for example, if if using a cryptocurrency like 
big block Bitcoin were mandatory from the state. I said, this will now be the official currency that you must use so that we can track you. That's scary shit. And I don't think that's beyond the, the, the uh, I don't think that's too unreasonable. It's not too yeah. crazy to imagine, especially a small state, especially like a small island nation where they go, actually, this works out pretty well. And the price is appreciated. So the more we use it, like the wealthier we are, because now there's international money flying, you know, coming in. Okay, everybody now uses this. Well, then you're talking about all of your, then you have the public transactions and then you have your private transactions that you automatically, and like, then that makes you a criminal because you're not using the state money. Then you get into some scary territory. I think. Maybe the, um, maybe the bad reputation and bad people skills of some of the most vocal leaders in the DSV <laughs> is actually a benefit. Cause like, I can imagine them like banging on the door of some regulator being like, please meet with us. We want to help you regulate the entire crypto market. And then being like, who is this crazy guy? We're not going to meet with him. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, actually. I, I've heard, uh, I, I can't say this with a high level of confidence, but I've heard that the Chinese government has some, done something similar in Africa where they have kind of tried to spread their influence by giving African dictators technology to better surveil their people and with some success. So it's like, hey, look, we want to invest in your country. You got some natural resources we like. And hey, here's this cool tracking technology, social credit score that we're already using to control a billion people. You might like it over here. So that, and, and this, so the story goes, it's been effective. So at least that's possible to c convince a state that way. Derek, you're the, you're the resident archivist and historian of all things uh, Bitcoin. And I thought this was funny that you dug up. I had, I had actually forgotten about this. Um, maybe the, um, you know, we're, we're, we've always been at war with Eurasia was starting to work on me, but uh, the revisionist history, but it was like only a year, a couple of years ago when Craig was like, we are working on stuff that will make chain analysis impossible. We will have mixers. We will have total privacy. This is the next thing. I, I, Jimmy won't let me announce it yet, but it's about to come out anytime. He, he was also he's asking about anonymity. Reversed course. And he's like, mixers are illegal. That stuff is terrible. Like, how do you explain that? Well, he was also asked about anonymity. Like the question that he responded to was like, hey, when are we getting anonymity on Bitcoin Cash? And this was like December, 2017. And he said, next year it's coming, but I can't talk more right now, you know? And he specifically used the word anonymity. Not only that, I mean, for someone who claims to be Satoshi, if you go back to the Bitcoin white paper, anonymity is mentioned. If you go back to the original announcement on the cryptography mailing list, anonymity is mentioned. If you go back to the very first version of Bitcoin.org, it says participants can be anonymous. If you go to, to Satoshi's writings, he talks about using Tor. Like there's a lot of discussion about anonymity early on. And I guess you can say that, you know, if Craig were Satoshi, that he came to the conclusion that anonymity was bad, or he decided that what he was actually talking about was pseudonymity. But for someone who, who in, a, in a culture in BSV, who harps on this thing about the distinction between anonymity and privacy, they seem very ahistorical in, in, in the fact that they pretend that, that this was always a distinction that was being made. And well, it's clear that it wasn't. Maybe when Calvin met Craig in 2010, that was a different Craig than the Craig that he first met in 2015. Um, right? <laughs> two separate tweets saying he first met Craig in 2010 and one saying 2000. It could be two different Craigs walking this earth and that could account for all of this. TK, as the resident justifier of Craig S. Wright, um, why, do, why do you think the change in tone? And, and on so many things, on so many things, since kind of before, since before BSV and BCH split till after. 
and not just the change in tone, but the refusal to acknowledge any previous uh, different uh, ideas that he espoused. So I think that latter question is the easier one to answer, and, and it might provide some insight in how to look at the, the first question. So Craig just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy, and I say this neutrally, not as any criticism, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be apologizing to anybody about anything. I mean, I, I don't think we have a lot of those on the record, right? Um, Craig, Craig has said he's going to do a lot of things in the past, changed his mind or perhaps been wrong about it and doesn't really apologize to you for it. Did he come back and give an apology to all the BSV people that he made upset when he said something like it'd be $1,200 by the end of that year and it'd be like 98% like chance that that'd be the case? He doesn't, I, I didn't need an apology from him. I never took that prediction seriously, but did he apologize about it? When he said he would sign and so forth, I, I, I know he, he said some things about it, but it's like, he's just not the type of dude, as far as I'm concerned, to be apologizing to the world about changing his mind. And I think he is, he is the type of person who would be most likely to appear contradictory because his mind could have changed about a lot of those things. And he's just, if he's not the type of guy to be like, I was wrong about this or I changed my opinion on it, then what does that look like? Instead of looking like a guy that just evolved in his thinking, he looks like a guy that's completely inconsistent and contradicted himself. So you take away a person's tendency to apologize and they look like a contradictory person. That's one explanation. But I, I, I actually like the idea that we talked about in our earlier episodes where I think he strategically employs the kind of language that he thinks he needs to employ for the sake of getting BSV adopted. Whether you agree with his philosophy of law or not, I genuinely believe that he thinks that is exactly how he needs to, to sound in order to make sure there isn't a big target on BSV's back. I think he's very afraid of law as being the biggest threat to this whole industry. And he's trying to protect BSV from that. That's what I think. I think that's reasonable. And I, I think there has been a change. I, I, it seems to me there's been a change of strategy, but I'm not entirely sure what the end goal of the strategy is. It could be he, he wanted to change to protect BSV. I think also plausible is that he wanted to change to remain a leader in a, a group. So like with Bitcoin Cash, to talk highly about privacy is going to make people support you and like you and feel like, oh, this is the guy who's saying things that we like. And then once they broke away from Bitcoin Cash, I feel like he, there's a lot of people in BSV who are more statist. And so to change the rhetoric sort of makes him keep his relative position of, of being this, uh, this person saying something that the group likes. So I think that also might, might be a play here. I'm, I'm still not convinced he cares about BSV more than his weird egotistical um, uh, uh, desire to be seen as somebody with prestige. Like sometimes I've waffled where I think, okay, he doesn't actually care about the prestige, but the more he writes, the more I think, okay, this is actually somebody who is trying to gain prestige and failing miserably. And so just sort of flailing about trying to have any shred of credibility. And if that means totally contradicting himself, then he'll do it. So I think in some ways it could be the other way around. You could say when he was in BCH, he used the language of the community in order to achieve like a leadership position. But I, I think it's the reverse where 
if you think you have a superior knowledge to everyone else about how this should be done, then you might see a leadership position as necessary. And I think it's more about him doing things in a way so that he can be in charge yeah. because he believes he's the only one that can get this thing across the finish line. And I actually think a lot of the statist authoritarian sounding language we're seeing from the BSV community is actually more from the big fans of Craig who I think are mimicking his thinking. But if you look at a lot of the people, like a lot of the OGs, um, yeah. look at people like Craigwitz and so forth, they, they don't really talk like that. You know, they, they, you still yeah. have a lot of like freedom lovers and capitalists. Sure that Craig's army is worse than Craig itself. Like yeah. His, yeah. his army of people who worship him are some of the most annoying people on the internet. Well, that that's also a tactic. So maybe he's not directly playing to the statist audience, but he's sort of creating a statist audience. But also that's a tactic for somebody that wants to be a leader closer to being something like a cult leader than an actual leader than to take the contrary position and say, I have superior knowledge. And actually, Bitcoin was never supposed to be about privacy. And actually, it was also now you're going to automatically get a subset of people who go, OK, this is a wise leader. We're going to listen to what he says and parrot what he says. And that's you could sort of also achieve the goal of effectively being a leader by carving out a new position that you think people will be attracted to. It, it seems probable it has less to do with, oh, there are statists in this new BSV fork. Now I must appeal to them. Or yeah oh, I'm really a statist, now I can speak my mind. I suspect it has more to do with being so angry and pissed off at the people in BCH who stood in his way and what they wanted to do with the protocol, uh, I actually agree with him, was really stupid and his what he wanted to do with it was better. Um, but he was really pissed off the people who stood in his way, notably uh, Amari, uh, who's a, a you know, self-proclaimed anarcho-capitalist. And he's the type that, would, that must declare everything his enemies do, including, including what they eat for breakfast to be immoral, right? It can't be like, Amari is wrong about the protocol, but like his concerns about the state are valid. He can't do that. He can't be that guy. He can't give anything to his enemies. He must say they are the, you know, the worst dressed, terrible at golf, uh, bad father, and they're wrong about the protocol and their ideology is immoral, right? And so I think it was kind of a lashing out against the people who were opposing him in BCH that made him go right towards that, you know, and, and the fact that Roger sided with those guys and whatever, it's like, Roger's a libertarian, a voluntarist, libertarians and voluntarists just want crime. Like, it was just about attacking his enemies, I suspect, more than anything. You go hey, and by the way, that's par for the course. That's what everybody in crypto does. Look at what people do to Craig. It's not like people out there are saying, yeah, I mean, at least the brother gets the protocol, right? At least the brother did say some things about Turing completeness that made us all think twice, right? No, they, they even lie about the protocol. If you listen to non-BSVers talk about the technology, they don't even give that up. They make it sound like BSV's tech is imploding every day. Or, or, the, or the radical libertarian anti-statist in BTC who say that Roger Ver is a felon and- <laughs> Reporting and a, him to the FEC. An expatriating you know, tax dodger and all these things as if those are you know, against their beliefs. Now, in that story though, it, that- that seems to tell me that we're not, that Craig is not playing a high level strategic game. And that story, that sounds like he's petty, uh, very concerned about his public image, very spiteful, wants to hurt the people that he feels like have harmed him. And I think this is true. I think this is a true story. I, I don't think you can deny to... it if you just watch any of his speeches in the last few years. Yeah. So, so the idea that like this, the idea that this is a, this is deliberate strategy because he thinks he, he is wise enough to take BSV into the promised land. 
I just don't, I think that's less likely than the story in which he's uh, very insecure and is trying to puff himself up and put others down for ego reasons. The cult of I don't Craig think those just, are exclusive at all. It's very sociologically similar to QAnon type people. It's like there's always some plan that's going to work out. There's always something that's coming. And, there's, and it's like the, the simpler explanation is just, you know, uh, a leader who's just kind of wild and crazy and arrogant and, you know, like it's not some grand master plan to play the drunken fool and secretly, you know, vanquish all your enemies behind the scenes and then have yeah. a big reveal. Like that just, you know. Um, so let, let me actually defend that position really quickly. Cause I, I think, I think that is the case. I, I think there is a lot of high level strategy going on, but I think we have to make a distinction between like good high level strategy that we agree with and bad high level strategy that nobody thinks is going to work. Cause you, you can't have both. Right. So I think something that the history of science and technology well establishes is that the scientists who make the most interesting discoveries are usually not the people who succeed at presenting that information to the world in a way that's useful and accessible. The engineers and entrepreneurs almost always outperform the scientists in doing something with this knowledge that allows everyday people to put it in their homes and, and you know, commercialize it. However, it's very easy to reverence the, the people with scientific insight so much that we make the mistake of thinking that their superior knowledge of the technology gives them an entrepreneurial advantage. So here's a statement that I, I think should be obviously true and is, and is established by history, but I actually think it'll be controversial to a lot of people. Here's the statement. There is no reason at all to think that Satoshi Nakamoto, whatever your theory about him is, there's no reason at all to think Satoshi Nakamoto is a good entrepreneur. There's no reason at all to think that Satoshi Nakamoto has the skill of being able to be a waiter at a restaurant or, you know, or to start a small business and actually generate revenue. I don't wasn't, think there's any Phil reason. Wasn't Phil Wilson a stock, a stock boy at a grocery store when he wrote uh, Bitcoin? He was a security guard, I think. Sorry, sorry. Continue, TK. No, no, that's really not <laughs> insulting at all because Satoshi Nakamoto can be the genius that invents this amazing revolutionary technology, but there's no reason from history to think that that same person is going to be the one to make the magic happen. Yeah. Did, did, did the person who invent the internet give us YouTube and Google and TikTok and all these different types but, of but things? But I, I think that's a separate claim, though. Like, my, my only point is, you know, watch Craig when he's supposed to debate somebody or whatever about whether Bitcoin's a security. I can't remember what that debate was. He, all signs point to someone who is reacting emotionally in the moment out of anger and ego, not someone who is putting on a deliberate show. Um, he's so consistently easily provoked to, to walk away from the conversation with Hotep Jesus, to start lashing out and saying he's going to throw everyone in prison. I'm sure he's doing strategy on some level, but I think most of his public statements and behavior are a reflection of poor impulse control. It seems very unlikely to me that that's 5D chess and it's all deliberately crafted to, to look like a fool. So I, I agree with that. Like, like and, I, and I don't know if anybody in BSB thinks that every one of Craig's emotions is part of 5D chess. There but, are people who think that, I'm pretty sure. All right, I'll, I'll concede that. But I think the reason that he is in those situations where he is being so easily triggered emotionally is because his strategy is putting him there. 
like, like, like Craig, Craig could easily avoid these types of moments, but he, he's constantly, his, his strategy is constantly putting himself in corners where he looks like he's contradictory and it's making him an easy target. And because he's not going to tell everything that he knows, because he's playing some kind of strategy, he's limited in what he can say. And I think that makes it easy for him to lose his cool and have these emotional moments. Yeah, I, I want to piggyback on that idea because th there's something that happens here I see all the time with the difference between the, the theoretician and the practitioner. So so something that, something that can happen is theoreticians can think highly of their theories and, and believe that the fact that they are good theoreticians implies that they are good practitioners, which is definitely not the case nor anything close to being the case. So Craig might be in a situation where he thinks to himself, okay, I have some superior theoretical knowledge, which means I'm a really smart guy, which means that whatever my high level strategy is, is going to be great. And then, he, and then as soon as he tries to implement any part of his actual real world strategy, he fails, people laugh at him, it's miserable because the strategy is actually bad. And then he has a strong emotional reaction to it. And then, and it kind of builds on itself. I think that is a very plausible description of, of what's happening, which is why I think so many people who are successful in the academy literally cannot succeed in the real world because they, they think so, they, they have developed a a theory of the world that is a wrong theory, so that doesn't help, but also they think so highly of it that as soon as they try to implement it in practice, it's going to fail and that makes them feel so terrible about themselves and so embarrassed that they immediately say, okay, well, I'm just gonna stay in the academy and live in theory land because they can't handle the idea that what they've prided themselves on, they're totally wrong. And I feel like that's a really good description, a plausible description of, uh, of Craig's story. Academics. They're the worst, aren't they, Steve? They um, are the worst. Derek, uh, Dillinger, Ray Dillinger, he's given up on Bitcoin. He's pulled a Mike Hearn. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, that was an interesting conversation the other day. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't agree with all give, give our viewers a little. Give our viewers a little backdrop. Oh, well, so if, if you guys know Ray, um, Ray uh, was one of the first people to respond to Satoshi Nakamoto on the cryptography mailing list. Not only was he one of the first people to respond on the cryptography mailing list, but he, according to him, and, and I, I mean, there's not a ton of evidence, but according to, uh, uh, according to him, he was, he and Hal were the first people to actually look at Satoshi's code outside of, uh, you know, Satoshi or the Satoshi Nakamoto team himself. So he and Hal were in private conversations with Satoshi where they discussed among other things, uh, the block size, uh, adding the block size limit, which is according to him, Hal's idea. And according to him, him and Satoshi had talked about, this was always the plan to, to get rid of the limit. The limit was just a temporary thing. Hal was really scared of some potential problems. And so they added the limit. Um, uh, Ray has released the early code. I think he was like the only person who had it. So there's evidence that he, he did. He hasn't shared any emails between him and Satoshi. But uh, the other thing that, that we do know is, it, it, I, think, I think Ray, Oh, no, I'm, I'm perhaps wrong. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I was going to go down a rabbit hole, but I, I'm, I'm wrong there. But yeah, so it's, Ray has released the early code that he had. Really interesting guy. Um, he basically posted to the cryptography mailing list the other day that uh, he thinks Bitcoin is a disaster. One of the reasons he thinks that is because the, uh, the scaling limitations, the artificial block size scarcity led to um, people basically reinventing the banking system on top of Bitcoin and they, uh, or the legacy finance system. And I think that's pretty much accurate. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing now is, is that onboarding is going to be done through PayPal and other 
custodial systems and, and um, where I think he's wrong is, and then he talked about too, like the army of trolls that was hired to, to derail the conversations. And I think he compared it to a gutter sewer knife fights or something like that. Which he he seemed funny. to think um, that the miners were the ones that hired. The yeah. That's where I think he's wrong is, is both that the miners are the ones who are responsible and that not only that, but that ASIC, ASIC mining was maybe, maybe harmful to the system too. I think he's wrong on both of those points. The interesting point I thought he made was, was the idea that government subsidized energy in China has centralized mining in a way that's unhealthy for Bitcoin and ripe for regulatory capture. And that's an interesting point. The idea that like a state could capture Bitcoin by basically stealing electricity from electrical companies um, and uh, giving it to miners. And then miners just all go to that particular region. And now they're in one of the most corrupt states in, in the world. Um, and, uh, and that's an opportunity to really, really capture the system. The other thing I asked him was, do you think that the block size should have been raised? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I think it should have been raised. So he's still of the opinion that the blocks should have been increased and that the centralization of mining wouldn't have been a problem in a, in a free market, but that Satoshi basically did not account for the fact that these, these hostile states or these, these totalitarian states would have unfairly cheap electricity. I think that's a, I, I think that's a valid criticism that that's um, I've heard like Andreas Antonopoulos sort of touch on this indirectly. And I think this is naive of him. He says something like, you know, if the miners don't behave, why uh, we'll just, it's like the dogs barking. And what do you do when the dogs bark? Well, you pick up a big rock and threaten to throw it at them. And I think he, his, his idea is like, well, the devs will protect us from, minor centralization in one country if it's a problem and they'll just fork it away and then it won't be a problem. I, I think that's very naive. I think, especially if you have a lot of commerce that's built on Bitcoin already, the idea that you're going to have a radical dev change like that, uh, change, change the fundamentals like that. Um, I don't well, think that's... that goes against everything that they've taught. I mean, if, if you end up in a situation like that, what else can they change? You know, I mean, you, you give the devs the power to suddenly say, hey, we're changing all of this to fork these miners off or keep these miners away. Like, that's a huge change. So so now the question becomes, well, how how resistant to capture really is Bitcoin? Well, right. Then now you're saying the devs get to pick the miners that they like. Yeah, uh, which, yeah. which is definitely the position that a lot of devs um, take, that they are the ones yeah. in charge here. Yeah. Which is scary because who watches the watchers? Um you know, something that we haven't spent hardly any time on, and, and we've done these videos for a couple of years now. Um, first, we're doing them on YouTube. We moved them all to Streamanity. Uh, I think I might post this one to YouTube because Derek was begging me to. Um, Derek doesn't beg. That's an that's a inaccurate description. Um, I demanded. I told you I, told you I would Yeah, walk. exactly. You demanded. Um, BTC. So all of us, I guess with the exception of TK, and TK, I don't say that as a dig, um, We've been around this for a long time for, um, you know, I don't know what you count as an OG, but 2011, 2012, 2013 at the latest. Um, and we all have- I was actually reasons. earlier. I was, the main, I was the main part of it, actually. <laughs> I started in the 90s here. Uh, Derek was drunk and high the whole time. I was really <laughs> doing it all. Um, unfortunately, I have amnesia and I don't remember any of the important parts. Um, <laughs> But we, you know, we all have our reasons for our strong, strong feelings that 
uh, Bitcoin was always meant to be big blocks and that big, big block Bitcoin is the Bitcoin we got excited about. And if it's not big block Bitcoin, it loses almost all of the attributes we were excited about and opens up all kinds of new risks, et cetera. But there's probably a lot of people that are pretty new, whether in the 2017 bull run or this current bull run, getting excited about this stuff. And maybe I'll title this something on YouTube that's clickbaity that gets people to, to watch it. BTC, I want to hear your steel man. What's the best case scenario for BTC as not only successful as uh, an asset that increases in value, which I think we will all admit um, is very possible, if not probable, at least in the near term, but its success as global money, as uh, something that could be a liberty expanding thing. Like what's the, what's the best argument for BTC, which would require something like lightning or some other second layer. Um, and then what are the reasons that you don't buy that argument? Geez, that's hard. I mean, I mean, you I have to think it's, it's like, I know it's like, five, Hey, can you condense like five years of torturous? <laughs> okay. So what did the Nazis get right? Right. The best argument that I have is basically that it grows so big that the economic pressure to raise the block size um, outweighs the authority of the existing developer groups. That might be something that could could potentially um, make Bitcoin succeed. Um, another another reason would be something like, um, you know, I, I guess I mean if Lightning Network were to succeed. I, I honestly don't even think that if Lightning Network works, that it would necessarily be a good thing for Bitcoin because I think that there's just too much opportunity for capture if only a small number of people are settling transactions every day on chain. So if you end up in a situation where it's just a group of banks who are settling and everybody else's funds is in, are in Lightning, even if Lightning is like infinitely perfectly scalable, um, if the on-chain fees are prohibitively high for people to actually get access to their Bitcoin, and you know, you're, you're thinking about majority of the world they're not living on large amounts of money. So, you know, if someone has a couple hundred bucks in savings, they're not going to be storing that on chain if the fees are a couple hundred dollars or more, right? So people's entire lives are locked in the Lightning Network. Um, and if they want to settle, they've got to go and use, uh, you know, some sort of uh, settlement firm or something like that, which will likely be highly regulated because they'll be very, very large. I mean, I guess there's theoretical technologies that could be developed that would change this. But to me, that like that's the problem with the system is like, even with Lightning Network working, it's, it's not that exciting to me. So for yeah, you to get excited about it, they would have to change the protocol and become big block. Well, or, or they would have to kick the can down the road sort of indefinitely, you know, they don't necessarily, I think BTC could succeed with like marginal block size increases every once in a while and kind of kick the can down the road. Maybe. I mean, it's hard to say, though. I mean, there's an argument to be made that a marginal increase can't work, that you can only be tiny blocks or un un unbounded blocks. Uh, the idea being that, like, miners need to profit either from economy of scale or from sort of like... Uh, artificial scarcity or something like that, right? Which was I mean, kind of what you, what, what you and all of us were sort of ripping on uh, Amari Sachet's vision of BCH for, like, hey, we'll be the yeah. moderately sized block Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, like it doesn't work if it's like you just keep raising it a little bit because you're always going to hit that limit and the same problem's going to happen anyway. Like, you're, the, the fees are going to go up. The only way it works is if you can allow massive numbers of, of transactions with, with low fees um, or, you know, artificial scarcity. So, 
maybe that won't work. I mean, maybe that won't work either, but it could kick the can down the road for a while. I mean, as long as the price goes up and the price could keep going up for a long time, raising the block size could keep BTC, you know, working well as cash for, for quite a long time, even if they didn't do large increases to the block size because the subsidy will pay for mining. Yeah, that's, that's plausible. I think, um, but what's crazy is, you know, if you do a eight megabyte block size increase, you're talking an eight fold throughput increase, which is substantial. Um, and you do that a few times and suddenly you do have a lot of capacity for usage. So I think the only way BTC achieves the, the, that type of vision is by changing by people not using it as it is. It either needs to have bigger blocks or they're going to have to use. I, I think the only, the only hope is um, side chains. Um, I think what uh, what's his face is working on, but a side chain is essentially not using BTC. It's like, yeah, Paul Stork. Yeah. Like it's okay. You stake your BTC. So maybe there's some correlation there. So that's how you're using BTC, but you're actually using something else. I mean, they, did, they broke the technology. So it's hard to, hard to steel man the situation where they just broke the technology and, and just, it, it, it still has hope. I mean, like you could still, there's nothing preventing them from doing big block size increases. I just well, don't think that that's a realistic world. Is, one thing that could prevent it is, is the opposite of the economic pressure idea that I made that like the economic pressure could be used to put pressure to raise the block size, but like it could also be, you know, big institutions being very conservative saying like, Hey, we don't, we just want this to be a store value. We don't want the block size to increase because, and we don't want to risk a hard fork that could damage the value of our coins. Yeah. And so if you end up in a situation where you've got a lot of institutional investment in highly regulated countries, you know, there's a lot of power to basically hold guns up to the developers and say, don't raise the block size. Like if you do that, you're going to be a criminal. I think and be- these were the threats that were used by Adam back and his goons back in 2017 about segment two X is basically, Hey, we're going to, we prepared decisive legal action against anyone who manages to, to actually fork Bitcoin on a chain that doesn't have replay protection or all that stuff. Like if you do that, we're, we're, we're bringing the big guns to come after you and sue you and, or, or worse. And so um, think about now there's a lot more money in Bitcoin you know, yeah. think about these Wall Street guys and these big funds, Grayscale and all these groups investing in Bitcoin. Are, you know, are, are they going to see that a block size increase or a controversial hard fork as a threat to their money? I mean, so it's likely that it's, it's already too late to raise the block size. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think practically speaking, it's just not going to happen. You, it's like you have to have a total difference of philosophy. Well, this pisses me off so much, though, right? Because economic pressure is part of the security model of Bitcoin. So like the devs, the devs in their naivete basically saw security as purely a uh, function of like how many nodes you're running or something stupid like that, as opposed to scale. So like Bitcoin at scale, even with big blocks, there's a lot of economic pressure to keep the system running properly, right? Because the more people who use it around the world, the more pressure there is to not you know, screw it up. So the irony is basically that that same thing could actually now stop Bitcoin from saving itself, basically. When you say saving itself, do you think that in the long run, there is hope for the store of value only dopey idea that they have for BTC? Do you think that actually could, could succeed? Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, it seems like, it seems like probably not. I mean, if it, it could go up for a long time, I mean, we could, we could see hundreds of thousands of dollars, I think for the value of a coin. Cause you know, with, with artificial scaling limitations that are sort of worked around with centralized yeah. providers and custodians, like there's no, you know, I, I mean, as long as it, people are willing to put money in it. Right. Yeah. So like, I think, I think what William happens, Madoff get away with this I think what happens is there's going to be investors, these big investors at a certain point, And I've seen some evidence of this too. And, and hearing from people who are talking to big wall street type investors who are basically like doing the math and deciding at what point is it no longer going to give me the same returns that another right. asset would. And at, at that point, if the price starts to the price increases start to slow, because it just doesn't make, there's no way that you're going to get the kind of level that, uh, would be necessary to, to continue Bitcoin's historic gains, then it may not go up forever. You may actually see money exiting the system and saying, hey, I'm looking for something else. I want to actually, and the, and the thing is too, I mean, it feels like it's, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, it feels like it's a system though that necessitates at some point people cashing out basically, because it's like, you know, the whole meme, it's like- uh, They have to, because you the can't back to the future. to buy anything. You have yeah, to convert There's it. the back to the future meme, you know, where it's like, uh, where we're going, you won't need it or something like that. And that's like yeah. used in Bitcoin. It's like, how are you going to cash out your, uh, your Bitcoin? And they're like, oh, well, when we get to the point where you're not going to need to do it, that's not true necessarily if- uh, Unless the tech changes. Yeah. Unless like, the tech changes. Yeah. If Bitcoin is reliant on the fiat system, you're always going to need to basically sell some Bitcoin to someone else in order to participate in the real world you know the rest of the and, economy and, and that's why central banks don't give a shit they're not threatened by that because every time you sell uh they get to tax you and you're back on their system and whatever yeah. right so like yeah. unless but, you can use it to purchase stuff and to say oh well we'll figure that out in the future no whatever you figure out in the future will be completely regulated and controlled and cajoled by the banks to make sure that they're not threatened so like if you don't have it figured out now you're screwed it's, it's an investment speculative asset that could go up in value because you believe people are going to believe in it, but it's not going to change the future of money. But play the story out even longer. So, okay, we reach the point where it's 100K, it's 200K, and people go, ain't, you know, nobody, it's not going higher than this. People start selling. Then what? Do we have a situation when, in which when the price goes down far enough, we have a collapse and then, oh, no, nobody uses it anymore? Or is it that we, the, the religion is so strong that once Bitcoin goes back down to 100,000, then a bunch of stupid people go, okay, well, now we can buy it again because it's a store of value and does it persist? Like, what, in have, what you scenario? Could have you could have, yeah, like, like what, in what scenario is BTC a failure? If, but, if the only reason people are buying it is because the price goes up and it's a store of value because they, people say it is, what, how does it fail? I think over time, it gets to the point where pretty much only professional investors are buying it anymore. Um, because there's no reason for other people to buy it, right? Like it's, it's uh, if, if the price increases slow down and eventually, you know, hits some, some peak or whatever, then if people go to sell, if enough people go to sell, I mean, it could, this system could be completely screwed. Like people could be like, there could be a run on the Bitcoin bank. But, but right? if it's the inv only the investors playing that game, I don't know how likely that scenario is because well, they're going to go, but, but oh, saying, well, just yeah, wait until next week. If everybody trading is frozen, if all the non-investor types are slowly selling all the way up, then maybe you can escape that scenario. But the more holders there are, the more people that are tr will try at some point 
because they can't do anything with their money. And all these single guys living in their basement with no wife, but got rich off of, you know, Bitcoin. And now they need to like do something with it that actually improves their quality of life. They go to sell and now it's stuck in them. They got to pay a $5,000 fee and it's stuck in the meme pool for an indefinite amount of time. And then everybody else hears this and they all panic and they all start like, I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy scenario. The tech is so screwed up when lots of people try to use it at once. I really don't yeah. know exactly. Even then, even then, you're the, that, in that scenario, you're saying that people are going to be making on-chain transactions. Well, in, t- in five years, 10 years in the future, nobody's going to be using the on-chain transactions. What Taking your money out of BTC is just getting the qu- credit withdrawal from PayPal. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that. Yeah, that's possible. But I think in that in that scenario, the price of Bitcoin is going to be severely capped because you got to factor in all the risks involved of those third parties. And the fact that you're not, that you're not provably um, collecting, you know, you're, you're, you can't prove the supply anymore if you're using tokens that are issued by a third party. I just feel like we're, in, we're entering this weird zone where I'm starting to believe that we could see an asset come into existence that people buy because they think it's going to go up in value. And then there is a religious narrative about it is a store of value because we just treat it as a store of value. It's a, it's oh, a shared sure. I mean, hallucination. It literally could be gold and, gold 2.0 where people mm-hmm. treat it just the same way they do gold. Some people hold it. Right. It but if it that's make huge jumps very often, it's pretty whatever. Um, and if that if that's not the world we're living in, though, I'm trying to play out the failure scenario. And the only, because the price is the only metric that matters for people that are buying BTC, it's actually hard for me to play out the, the final scenario in which BTC is a failure because as long as that religious narrative is. Oh, did we lose Steve? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll finish his thought for him. <laughs> it is continuing. Bummer. Oh, there you, it was there you about go. Math. You're back. You're back. Well, well, Steve, here's, here's what I'll say. I think you're right. I think there's a 50% chance that Bitcoin stays around indefinitely and is just another asset that people can park some money in. And it's like gold where nobody's actually holding the physical thing in their house. A few people are, but people are buying and selling certificates of gold and whatever, and it's all part of the regulated industry. And it's not really revolutionizing the world. It's just another place to to park money. Um, And there's a 50% chance scenario where the whole thing uh, collapses. And that collapse scenario could be either technical, like chain death. It could be... um, Ponzi, like Tether, all of a sudden implodes because it was all fake to begin with. and then, the, um, Or it could be regulatory where a government just kills it. All of those are, po- literally those could, any of those could happen like way faster than anyone acknowledges. It could be like tomorrow. That's possible. Maybe, le- maybe I don't know, maybe I'd even put that at a less than 50% chance at this point um, of happening in the next whatever, 10 years ever. Um, and, then the, and then the other 50% that it's just a boring asset that doesn't disrupt anything. It's just another place to park money. And the people who got in early made a bunch of money. That's such a funny idea to me. I, I think that's actually the world we're going to. And I think what we're going to have is, you know, BTC is going to be a high price. People aren't going to know why they're buying it. And then, and then at some point, some crazy investors are going to go, wow, here's Bitcoin 2.0. This, it's like Bitcoin, except you can use it in commerce. Wow, what a revolutionary idea. We're, we're just I mean, going to play there, the story Steve, again. That's where we are. Michael Saylor so just put half a billion dollars in Bitcoin and then tweeted that it's encrypted. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> he doesn't even know that it's not encrypted. It's just so funny to me. I can't, I mean, it's like, you can't even believe that. It's insane. TK, what would, what would it take for you to be excited about BTC? Oh, you're muted. Oh, he's muted. 
No, it doesn't look like he's muted. It's just not working. Zoom is discriminating. What happened? Testing, testing. There, there we go. go. Testing, testing. You're back. You good? Yeah. Yeah. Man, it, it's so funny what you guys are saying because, okay. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I think I think the game can stay alive for as long as there are people willing to play it and people will be willing to play the game as long as you're creating a narrative that supports it. I think people will believe anything, man, as long as the right person tells them. Case in point, is BTC the original Bitcoin? What do the most people, what do most people believe versus what does the white paper say, right? Like it's, it's not about, it's not about the truth. It's not about the arguments that you can give about the facts. It's about the narrative that people choose to subscribe to. And I think BTC could go on for a long time. And as the saying goes, the market can be irrational longer than you can remain solvent. It, it can be irrational longer than you can hang around and give out your arguments. I, I even think there's a winning scenario. I think, you know, Isaac mentioned it where they just double down on the gold narrative and you just take the whole fiat system. Let's, let's say fiat just kind of bottoms out, um, which, you know, let's say Peter Schiff is right about where fiat is headed right now. And they just anchor it all in BTC. Why wouldn't people be willing to pay those high fees to reinvent the, the same system but have what they believe to be a superior form of gold. I think it would be exceptionally easy to convince people that that was what Bitcoin was really about, as long as the right people tell them. You know, I, I don't see that as improbable at all. BSB, BTC could do that. Now, I think the only scenario where BTC loses is if it is actually killed by a stronger force. So, Steve, I, I, I don't know who, which one of you said it, but I don't believe in this idea that people are going to that one person or 20 people are going to try to sell their BTC. They're going to see how hard it is to get out. And then everybody's going to rush out. They're going to, they're going to need a reason for that, a reason that's really compelling. And, and the only thing I think that can happen to kill BTC would be if an alternative chain was doing something so interesting and so exciting that was drawing the miners or, or getting major transactions. And, and what people, people begin to see for themselves that what they wanted in BTC is being given somewhere else and all the more. And then they rush out. I can see a scenario like that killing BTC. Um, as far as what could make me excited about BTC, I mean, I, I told you guys, like, I, I see the world of investments as being much bigger than crypto. Crypto is like the fringe of the world of investments. There are a lot of things that excite me about it. But in this crypto space, the only thing that captures my attention is BSV. And if that, if, if that doesn't do anything, all right, cool. We'll go to this exciting, broader world out there beyond this crazy world of crypto. But th there's nothing, not, nothing happening in BTC that interests me at all. You know, I, I think it may go up and make a lot of money for a lot of people. But, you know, if I'm going to gamble, I'm just going to gamble on the NBA, something that I actually enjoy paying attention to. Have fun staying poor. <laughs> I feel like right. I just I think that meme is is both so dumb and it's so hilarious. <laughs> I, I feel like we're 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 potentially witnessing something really historic here, and I wonder how many times this has happened, where there are social social trends, socio religious trends, that are so um, uh, firm in our culture that are that the origin of which are like laughable, laughably stupid. Like I could imagine. A generation from now, we, might, we have kids, they, they are raised in a world in which everybody knows that, that the 
the highest store of value is BTC. And I can also imagine in which, you know, they don't know the history, they don't know the story. And it's this ridiculous, empty version of, of reality in which like the liars won and convinced enough people to literally create a religious social trend and it worked. And that's incredible to me. That's incredible that that can happen. I can so, sort of see it happen in real time. And I just wonder how many other things are like this. Like how many other pillars of cultural uh, norms do we have in which it was the scoundrels and the charlatans that has effectively got their their narrative pushed into the the public? Well, I mean, that's how we got everything. That's how we got the Federal Reserve. I mean, that's how we got a lot of the stuff right now. And, and that's how we got income tax. I mean, you look back at some of this stuff that was like completely contrary to the vision of the founders, which is now accepted as like, like the most like non-controversial thing. I mean, you can even question it. You're a crazy person. I mean, imagine like the income tax is only like a hundred years old. Part of the American and, fabric, even though the founders literally started the country because they were uh, opposing <laughs> a tax. Yeah. Well, income tax was not even constitutional in the original, yeah. you know, vision. of the, So, so that's, what's so great when you think about like, like there's narratives everywhere that, that have a religious like significance, or at least the sense in which people don't question them in the same way that they don't question a religious dogma. And that's everywhere. I mean, that's, and this, that's everywhere. And this one about money was created by all people, by a group of cypherpunk libertarians who then got corrupted. They were low status. They thought I can make money and gain prestige by pretending BTC is something important that you just have to buy and hold because God said so. And of, of yeah. all people, it's the libertarian cypherpunks that did this. Shocking. Well, and I mean, and I mean, look at it like, Let's say that scenario plays out uh, and it's just this other asset you can park money in. It hasn't made the world worse. Uh, it's given an additional asset for people to have another option. And then it's made all the people who got into it early rich. So they have no incentive at all to like, as long as the price keeps going up and up and up, it's like, I'm getting rich. How could this be bad? See, the market's saying I'm right. And it's not even that it's bad. It's just that it is completely fallacious to claim that it is what Bitcoin was intended to be and what everyone initially got excited about. And even what the core people still claim that Bitcoin is, it's not that anymore. It's not some threat to central banks that's going to discipline them or anything like that remotely. You're, you're naive to the point of foolishness if you think that. But it is an asset that's get going up in value and may do so for a long time and may be worth a lot for a long time you know, and may compete with gold. That is actually a possibility, even though it really does nothing else. And for a lot of people out there, that's the only form of winning that matters. So telling them that they aren't winning just doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not going to argue with that. Like if your definition of winning is I got rich off it, like yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like good for you. I'm excited that people make money, even if they're making money speculating or whatever, uh, even if it's on accident, like that's cool. I hold nothing against them. I don't think that's wrong. Um, it doesn't excite me as a, you know, it excites me potentially as a way to make a bunch of money, but I don't trust that outcome enough to go pour all my, all my life savings into BCTC. I think there's a lot of ways in which it, it could lose. Um, but I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't excite me the way that Bitcoin excited me uh, when I discovered it. And, that, yeah, and that some alternate implementations still potentially excite me. Right. And I think it's also, it's, it's at least frustrating to see this this technology that's you know appreciated so much in price, its existence also effectively destroyed at least for a short period of time 
a superior technology that actually could have made the world a radically freer and better place where people are actually accessing the blockchain and you get effective hard money because people can access the underlying technology. So it feels like, you know, part of the cost it's of the BTC, cost. exactly, is your, that system that could have been, man, that makes it sting a bit. And maybe, maybe it never could have been. Maybe it was always naive, but there's a, there's a part of me that thinks if it had continued on the trajectory of adoption at a fast enough speed to outpace the regulators and get big enough to where you couldn't ultimately kill it, there was a chance. There was a chance. Once we went from adoption to de-adoption, somewhere in 15, 2016, that was the moment when I think it was over. And that was all because of full blocks, but who knows? It's annoying. You know, it feels like not much has actually changed. I mean, in the last many years, I mean, the only thing that's really changed is the number has gone up. When you think about like what, what more has been done in Bitcoin recently, that's like super True. exciting. Not I mean, there's some cool little apps, you know what? I, like I use Fold every day. It's kind of fun, but uh, there's not a whole lot that like I see. I mean, to me, the energy level seems worse in many ways than, than you know, years ago. It seems like there was a lot more just like interesting stuff happening years ago. Well, and when the now price is going up, it's always worse, right? Yeah. Because nobody, just nobody like, has an incentive to build. Yeah, I mean, and that's great. I love the price going up. I mean, you know, but what else is happening? I like so the price here's going my, up too. It's fun. Here's my concern about BSV and, and, and something that I, I, I would like to see more of in the, in the community, so to speak. Um, think about nice guy syndrome. Think about the guy who, as a dating strategy, agrees with every girl because he thinks that that's going to make her fall in love with him. He laughs at jokes that he doesn't really think is funny. He says, yeah, nods his head and is very accommodating. And that girl goes off and she dates some other guy who's a bad guy. And the good guys all butthurt about it. The good guys are like, well, I agree with you and I supported you and I'm there for you. And I listen, you complain and I help you move. And you, you know, and, and you like this bad guy. And the good guy is just self-righteously frustrated and upset, not getting what he wants. And he lives in this unfair universe where people make irrational decisions and give their loyalty to those who don't deserve it. Sometimes the BSV community sounds like that to me. And, and it's sort of like, you know, you're not going to get anywhere in this world by thinking of yourself as good and thinking of other people as bad and waiting for something bad to happen to them so that you can be the one who wins the loyalty of the girl or the world by default. That just doesn't happen, right? The analogy that I gave on, on Twitch is it's, it's like, there's some girl you've asked out like 30 times. She said no and laughed in your face every time, but then you find out that she dumped her boyfriend and you're celebrating. No, Guess you're going to wait until like she's you. on her third divorce when you're 50 and you're going to still be there. And she'll finally realize you were always the one she should have been. <laughs> Yeah, she's never going to realize it, man. That day is never coming. So, so what do you do? What do you do when you when you take that heart pill? You focus on making yourself valuable. You you stop thinking with a low value mindset, and you stop saying, "I'm going to achieve victory by making sure that everybody who gets in the way is arrested, or thrown in prison, or that they that they that they get sued, or something like that." You stop worrying about Peter McCormack. You stop worrying about Adam Back. Stop worrying about all those guys. And you focus on what makes you valuable, what makes your projects valuable, and you try to do something that, that kind of takes ownership for creating the victory that you want to see. I think th that's not an argument for what anybody should do, 
but I think that is a description of the only way that BSV is going to win. And I want BSV to win. I'm going to write the uh, Craig Wright guide to dating. And it's going to be something like planting drugs or child porn on the girl's boyfriend, <laughs> getting him thrown in Thai jail. <laughs> to see your enemies flee before you, to hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian. Um, should we post this to Streamanity or YouTube? Streamanity is fine with me. I'm good with that. I was going to go YouTube. I feel like oh, it, whatever you guys want. Like I mean, beginning of the year, yeah, let's take, reunion. I'm streamanity, man. Let's take advantage of the bull run. Did, we, did, we, did we talk about enough interesting stuff to warrant YouTube? I feel like YouTube is a bigger audience. Or was this too like insular? Or was it good? <laughs> TK. Look, look, here's here's, here's right my 10 second case. We don't care about the audience, I guess, but still. <laughs> here's my 10 second case for streamanity. We can get 10,000 views on YouTube. And what is that going to do for you? Nothing. You can get 10. That's not true. Straight. No, that's what? not what true. Do? So what? I've gotten, I've gotten many opportunities from our YouTube channel. I'm sorry that you haven't monetized it, but I no, have. Likewise. Um, I've got, why, why y'all have to do me like that, man? I've gotten a lot of opportunities. <laughs> I'm creative. Even, you're, 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 like, you're supposed to be Mr. You're supposed to be more creative than this. Like, like TK, not, not even trying, like, I'm building a company utterly unrelated. To- <laughs> I was just like, dude, TK, we're not even trying. What no, are you doing, like, man? What I'm sorry. Story. I didn't mean to let you have it like that, TK. I'm sorry. No, people, people coming to me and, and begging to come on and get interviewed saying, hey, look at my project. I've gotten speaking engagements and podcast invites and things like, aren't you, aren't you like a public intellectual, a professional speaker? Don't you want exposure? Do you ever heard of marketing? Yeah, you sound like a, you sound like one of those academics who only wants to post under like, like, hey man, check it out. What um, it is? Humanity. I'm gonna make forty bucks. Uh, YouTube. I might get ten thousand people. Well, look, and some of those might, I, I, you know. Let, let me finish this sentence, man. Because okay. I, I, I didn't tell you what I think we get from Streamanity. I didn't right. tell you what I think we get. I was just saying, what are you gonna get from YouTube? All right. So obviously, you guys are getting gigs from YouTube. I. I don't look to YouTube to give me anything like that. But oh, I see, see how, see how you, the fact that you're not getting gigs, you tried to use it as a way of being superior. I don't look I'm, at YouTube like that. Look, look, you are talking I'm, I'm, to the I'm, Netflix guy, okay? I mean, let's be fair. Yeah, TK's on Netflix. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, but 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 seriously, like, I I, I just love using SV, man. I, I I think, like, to be honest, what's the what's the point of using Twitch? Like, I get more views on Twitter. I, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 no, get, I, I get more. I love using Streamanity and I love using Twitch, which is why I've posted these exclusively to Streamanity for at least a year. It's so fun. It's awesome. The tech is, it's an infinitely superior experience for creators, but nobody can onboard. Nobody's there. And sometimes I just want other people who are new to this stuff who ask me, Hey, cool. What's this? It's so freaking hard to explain and then I'm like, oh, go watch you, go try Twitch. And they can't do it because they got to create a wallet and they got to do all this stuff that they can't do on their cell phone right there. So like, I don't know, every once in a while, I want to like, you know, let the broader world get a, get a little bit of an understanding of the kind of conversations going on over there. Hey, where, where, wherever y'all are watching this, whether it be on YouTube or Streamanity, I wish you well and uh, leave a comment, like, do whatever it is that this platform. We don't we don't do that kind of chilly and cheesy stuff about comments and like you know what I mean. It's just that's not our style. Hey man, work whatever platform you choose to be on, bro. Maybe we'll put it on streamanity first and then put it on, on YouTube. YouTube Maybe TK just doesn't want to face that guy, that one dude who kept commenting that TK was drinking fake water or something like that. <laughs> yes. like, he's safe and secure on Streamanity. Every time I drink something now, I have to make sure that it that it looks real because people. You gotta take a big gulp. Yeah, TK right. was pretending to drink water. 
either this cup is halfway full or it's completely empty. I want y'all to, I want all the viewers to let us know Take a drink. what's really Take a drink. Is this a real drink? Okay, let's see. <laughs> I think T, TK is a deep fake anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I Nobody think the angle was too slow. high. Nobody holds the glass <laughs> that long and that deliberately. There's no milk mustache. I don't know. That's yeah, TK that's is actually cool. an AI built on what, Ann in the BSV blockchain? Like yes. he's not even a real person. <laughs> The, the YouTube comments are um, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, but they gave amazing. us our name, so. Yeah. All right, boys. This was a good time. Until the next time. Thanks, guys.